Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Tracks Edition Week 62. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. It's a real fucking riot in here right now. Me and my lappy, and we are ready to talk Star Tracks. You're, you've been I'm, replaced. You're not co-host anymore. My lappy is co-host. Honestly, I'm not mad. Is your lappy going to watch them all with you? Uh, my lappy has seen them all. He's like Data. When he decides it, he's a perfect encyclopedia and he knows everything. What's your favorite kind of uh, Star Trek episode, Matt? Uh, they are great at time travel. I only want that. Mm-hmm. I want that to be every episode if it's possible. Yeah. Well, they found a way to do it four times this week. Oh, so close. We were almost, they almost fucking um, made, made the eight. That's not it. Making the eight's not know. what I meant. I don't know what you mean, and I don't care. Here's the deal with this show. All right. We, uh, we're we going in reverse order from how they finished last week. The worst episode last week was Voyager. Oh. This week we watched Before and After. I mean, that wasn't totally unlistenable. <laughs> there have definitely been worse songs backward than that. Uh, yeah, probably. All right. Kess wakes up in a bio bed as an old lady with her weird fake family surrounding her. Credits. The doctor, who now calls himself Van Gogh, explains to Captain Chaco that Kess is mad senile uh, and has morologium now. You remember elogium, right? Uh, yeah, I do remember the elogium. This is now, now she's got more elogium. Not more elogium, more elogium, right? Is that good? I don't fucking know. He might be able to put her in a, like, a weird old chamber, which will do something to fix her. Uh, her cells are in a state of biotemporal flux, by the way. Even though she hasn't been in the dumb chamber yet, which is, I guess, supposed to do that to her cells? There's a lot going on in this first part of this episode. I want to say that they managed to say the words biotemporal chamber perhaps as many as 40 times in this episode <laughs> without ever describing what it might do to prolong her life <laughs> or no how clue. it might operate. <clears throat> Cass we sudden- see that doctor builds that shit like five times. You're right. They don't do a good job of explaining. And again, I'm always torn in Star Trek. Do I want them to explain and then hate the explanation? Or do <laughs> I want good, them to just move on? It's an extremely fair question. The explanation really is often bad. Yeah, actually, I talk about this in the Enterprise episode this week. Uh, Kess suddenly wakes up again in her quarters. Still old as hell, but apparently, like, um, I don't know, a few days before or something. Because this kid is still working on her dumb birthday present that he gave her in the last scene. Uh, her daughter, L- Linus? 
mm-hmm. takes her to sick bay when she's all confused and doesn't understand why she's jumping around. Um, TP walks in and introduces himself as Kess's husband, and Kim walks in and introduces himself as TP's daughter's husband, and I almost stopped taking notes at that point. It was very difficult to proceed from that point. Um, another dumb time jump, and this time Kess is just turning nine. And they're having a big old birthday party for her, and she's slightly more coherent now because she's remembering the things that happened to her in the other jumps. And she tells the doctor about her weird shifting time frames and memories and about the temporal chamber that, again, the doctor has already told her about a hundred times. And that serves as proof that she's not mad because he never told anyone anywhere in the world and he would never tell anyone about that idea. That's his deepest darkest secret are the words biotemporal chamber uh then in their quarters tp and kes reminisce uh about because they because again they married reminisce about cheerful things like the year of hell and all their friends that died they very slowly connect the chronoton torpedoes that the an alien race called the krenum shot at them in the year of hell and her temporal flux issue but before she can tell anybody she jumps back again this time to Dang. the birth of her grandson six months prior. She goes to see the doctor again, and they do detect some trace amounts of the chronotons all up in her, and that the problem is that in the future, she goes into that dumb temporal chamber, and then Benjamin buttons her way back through time or whatever. Anyway, the doctor puts her in a containment field to stop her from warping, but he's bad at everything, so that doesn't work either. It just plain doesn't work. Doesn't do anything. She just jumps again. It's honestly, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time, you say. Hold on. Let me look off into the distance. Time. <laughs> I don't have to keep doing this show. <laughs> she, uh, she jumped. I meant it. Well, I meant it when I said we could quit and start a new podcast and never mention this one again. And you meant it. It had never happened. You said it when you were watching Voyager and I don't blame you. She jumps back again to the time that she gave birth on a shuttle, and then they came back to a Voyager very much under attack by the Grenum. Uh, this time she explains her situation, and then immediately jumps back and gives Janeway info about the Krenum, because she jumped back again to before this. I guess Kess doesn't follow any kind of temporal prime directive. Anyway, she watches Bellana get killed. Uh, I guess this is the first Krenum attack. She finds seems to be. She finds the torpedo that messed her up, and she climbs through some Jeffrey's tubes to it and scans it to get its temporal signature before jumping again. Incidentally, uh, Janeway and Torres were killed by the same exploding console. <laughs> we we agree, right? They did not take any damage from the Krenum weapon at all. They were killed by an exploding console. Yeah, I think if we run the numbers, it is by far the deadliest thing in Star Trek. We've seen in all of Star Trek, like, ten people get uh, pulled out into space or whatever, and mm-hmm. a couple of ships totally destroyed. How many hundreds of people have we seen get and sparks h- on them? Hundreds of people just get uh, wiped by exploding consoles. This is not the only time it'll happen this week. Nope. Uh, okay, anyway, she gets the torpedo's temporal signature before jumping again. This time, the doctor has no hair. Oh, yeah, the doctor grew hair when he became Van Gogh. Uh, the doctor has no hair anymore, and Janeway's alive and all of that shit. Bellana and the Doctor have a plan based on uh, anti-chronotons that's going to fix her this time. And uh, they go ahead and do that business. But before they can get it done, she's laying in the bed. She jumps back again to when she first came on board Voyager. 
And then she jumps again to when she's a kid. And then to when she's born. And then to when she's like a nasty old fucking fetus or whatever the hell's happening. Just wonderful stuff. Uh, Then Mm -hmm. she starts rapidly going forward again. So I don't know. It worked, I guess. It's because then she's back at present time, I guess. And then she's back at the time when they're bombarding her with anti-chronotons, which we assume is the present, despite the fact that she has longer hair than we last. Yeah, she got a new hairdo this week, and I think yeah, we're supposed to be like, oh, in the future she's got weird hair, but then at the end she's still got it. So, yeah, but it's like okay, so depending on how hair technology works, like did it take her eight months to grow that hair? Because it grew a lot. It grew a fucking ton. Uh, Maybe she hit another ogium. She's almost three and a half now, so. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, then they're back at Sex Resort for some great jokes, and we're done. So, what was this one? If I make and send you a no-take drop, can you insert it? (laughs) (laughs) That's too much editing. It's a no-take. Okay. Um, Yeah, I don't disagree. In accordance with my new policy, there's only a certain amount of work that I'm willing to do to hack out a take. Mm-hmm. There could be a version of this story about living backwards and the effect that it has on the future. And like, like I think that there's there could be a story there because you're shaping events you will never get to see. Right. Right. Um, so it's like, you know, optimistic or whatever. But this is not, this is not, we don't, we don't care about what happens based on what she does at any point. No, I certainly didn't. So I think they just wanted to do a neat story on Benjamin Button hadn't come out yet. That's true. So unfortunately, that's not a take. I agree. (laughs) Zero, a zero number of points. I give it a zero point. Yeah, Ben was more optimistic. He said hindsight is 2020 and gave that a four. He said, uh, but sci-fi style where they're being literal. Um, but it still doesn't say anything. I am in agreement with you. I gave it zero. I just looked on the internet for quotes about life. <laughs> I'm not even going to read the one I came up with. There's no point. There's a zero. Um, cause I think they wanted you to be, maybe to think like something profound was happening, but I, I couldn't figure out what it was. I'm, honestly, I'm not even sure they did. Yeah. Like, I mean, they might not have cared. I think they were just interested in telling this weird story and being like, where do you think Janeway is? Why do you think Chakotay's captain? <laughs> yeah, ooh, suspense. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Ooh, ooh, the doctor's Van Gogh. Ooh, now oh, he's God. Mozart. It, was, it made me really sick. He's, all, all he's the... a hologram. He should be able to have realistic-looking hair, but this tube is bad. By the way, it's so... Uh, it's very insulting what they did with the doctor because the first season seemed to be largely about what do we make of the doctor is he a person and they have definitely abandoned that they don't care yeah and so then to be in the future like look you've got a name and a hair and things are going <laughs> great for the doctor and it's like well, i don't fucking care you guys don't care why should i care yeah you have you have uh, indicated to us that that's not an important part of voyager's story yeah like you can't just put that in there and be like they'll be really satisfied by this nope didn't work yeah, and to be fair, Kess's hairdo is better now, but I don't understand how it grew so long. Well, let's fucking swing into it. What did what did you think they did execution wise here? Ah, uh, boy, this was a nothing episode about one of our least favorite characters. Part of me wonders if it was just a goodbye to Kess. Another part of me wonders if it was just a way to tease their mega event, the Year of Hell. 
I so guess no and yes is are the answers to those because you have always, as always have at least read the memory alpha or whatever. Well, I, I particularly read memory alpha if and when I don't have a take for an episode because sometimes the director will just be in there <laughs> tell you what being like, exactly what he intended. We're trying to make an episode about homelessness, and you be like, "Got it, homelessness, cool, <laughs> right?" And then I could just say, "I guess it was supposed to be about homelessness, and they did a bad job." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess knowing about the um. This was a huge problem and execution for me. Knowing about the fuck-up that happened six months in advance of the fuck-up didn't stop the fuck-up from happening. The one where he put her in that chamber and did this whole thing. Right. She, she goes back six months and goes, um, here's the problem. Or they figure out in, in that time frame. The problem is I put you in that chamber. But I guess, I guess he still put her in that chamber. Well, Matt, we'll learn this week that changes in the past take time to propagate to the future. Oh, good. Well, that makes and then sense. I will say, what in the hell could that possibly mean? <laughs> um, like, no, like, for real, what could it mean, though? I don't know. I don't understand how that would work and why it would work. Yeah. I fucking hate that grandson of hers. By the way, I assume that's a lie. We'll get to that. Uh, I hated that grandson of hers. I hated watching her have a baby out of her back sack. I hated Dr. Van Gogh. I hated the weird incestuous relationships of the future. Hey, thank God they didn't want to spend the money to show that, huh? To uh, show the back sack? God, I don't want to see it, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Thank God they they decided not to spend the money on it. Yes, I agree. Entirely. Uh, It was a one for me. Ben uh, liked it as many as four. Okay. He says that uh, since this is clearly in the future, he doesn't get the sense that much of this will count. Oh, he's doing this uh, in real time, I think. But he thinks they were trying trying for something, and he's putting it in execution. But there was a lot of stuff he hated. He wished that baby wasn't all covered in grape jelly. No. Uh, also, uh, you know what I was going to say? As usual, the baby was born four months old. But, not, but I don't know. It's Ocampa, and they only live nine years. Yeah, maybe, maybe they just uh, come out with like sort of more, more baked. Maybe they do it different. Yeah. Uh, the holodeck is back to the stupid cabana. When Kess goes to see the torpedo, isn't it just prudent to have an environmental suit mask on or anything? Yeah, she just went in there, like, Tom Paris was like, you're gonna get mad irradiated. And she was like, well, I gotta do it. But I (laughs) I certainly won't take any precautions. She should have gone. Already done. I'm already mad irradiated. That's the whole point Uh, of this. Two birth scenes, confusing and frustrating. Um, Mm -hmm. So as you know, I scored it just zero points. (laughs) That is the rule. I'm aware. On a no-take. It's going to be a rough week for the top half, maybe. Yeah, I definitely came away with at least three of these going, huh, okay. Uh, This episode gets by on a lot of secondary characters and new actors. So that's never a good sign, right? I agree. Her dumb daughter. Exactly. Hope you guys like seeing a lot of Linus, like his... Twice as much as you would see Kess in a normal episode. The very important character, Linus. Yeah. Um, Haven't seen her in timelines, but I wouldn't be surprised if she's in there. I haven't seen her yet. Uh, the, the, The time jumps are very frequent, and we never stay long anywhere. So this episode is mostly Kess being confused and then gradually figuring out how to explain things to people. She's like one long form scene. Where it seems like she's been around there for a couple hours and she gets to talk to Tom Paris for one minute. Mm. Um, but otherwise, it's just jump, st- start the explanation again. Uh, so, like, we don't spend time in any of these places, really. Yeah. 
every fact she learns about her past, they eventually end up showing us. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, he's like, oh, there was this thing called the Year of Hell, and Balana died, and it was really rough. And then it's like, yep, so we'll, we'll get to see it. Don't worry. They'll yeah, definitely don't worry, show it's it. coming. You'll definitely will get to see it. Uh, except for Tom Paris at the wedding. I figured that was probably too expensive uh, to do the wedding. Yeah. Unless they just were, unless they just got married in that holodeck. Cabana. <laughs> at the cabana, yeah. <laughs> Why not? Um, yeah, it's true. It sure seemed in this episode like all she had to do was say biotemporal chamber and Schmullis just knew how to build one. Yeah. Like, they didn't they even do anything like, oh. Further back to a time when he hadn't been thinking about it at all. Yeah. And then she'll just say, you put me in the biotemporal chamber. And he's like, that's ingenious, the biotemporal chamber. <laughs> because as, as for the rest of the episode, he knows exactly what that means and what it entails, but nobody else does. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, um... Uh, it's they don't even do anything tricky or interesting like he put she put the seed into his head or anything like the seed of the idea into his head nope he's just like oh yeah i know what that is no again we never see any evidence that her actions affect the future yep uh i don't know that anything that happened in this episode made enough sense to really dwell on but i was definitely at least a little bit glad that i didn't have to try to work up a score because this was a confused mess yep yeah, it makes me wonder if there's a link between the complete lack of a take and this time travel. Is Are they bad at time travel because they don't have anything to say about it? I have not yet seen them. Like, they're either doing the standard, remember, anything you do can change can change the, the history as we know it, that they've been doing since the city on the edge of forever. Mm-hmm. Or they're just doing a romp. Yeah. And even be. though this one does not have the tone of a romp, it's not doing anything else. I agree. And again, it's just weird. It's just weird to make it about Kess. It's just like, weird. we'll see. We'll see when they get to the back to the one where Cisco and crew go back to trouble with Tribbles, whether there's a take oh, there at all. Oh, boy. To, in my mind, that's a romp, kind of like the Ferengi at Area 51. Um, but like... I was going to say it's, it was just um, nostalgia-based stuff, and then I was going to say just like Relics, and then I went, no, Relics has a very clear take about old people and their usefulness. <laughs> and that's right. Like, so that's definitely going to get take points because it will clearly have one, whereas that triples one, I'm looking back like, I can't really remember if that's about anything. Yeah, that one, they say the take out loud right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Then they act like it was just lip service that they were paying, and then in the end it turns out to be true. That's like, right. In that episode, the characters, yeah. is particularly one character, and I don't want to talk too much about Relics, yeah, yeah. has to get convinced of the take, which is like the best kind <laughs> of way to score take points. <laughs> That's right, you're going to score a million. I'm going to be so glad to not have to think about it overnight. I'm going to give them 11. It's going to be the first time in like, I don't know, what do you think that episode is, 140? God, it's pretty deep. It's like season six, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, it'll be the first time in at least a hundred episodes by then that a show will get execution points for executing on the take. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's been a while. And not just if we had known how this show was going to go and that uh, that was never going to be fruitful for us, we could have just bundled take and execution of take together and made execution uh, just production. Yeah. Because that's really what it is most of the time. That's true. And then you wouldn't have to have this rule where it's a zero and a zero. That's correct. But I'm not rescoring. No, I don't blame you. I'm not going back and rescoring my no takes. I don't blame you. Not until we're done anyway. After we're done, you can definitely go back and do that. Maybe. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so I was glad to not have to come up with uh, with a point score on this one. And um, let's slide into world building. Okay. Ben's got the Morologium, Chronoton, Torpedoes. He had forgotten about the episode Elogium, <laughs> but luckily they bring it up in this one. Yeah, lucky. We're all lucky. Uh, Kess, who is a nurse, shouldn't should know that radiation isn't something that makes you infected. Yeah. And then there's the big question for this episode. Does any of this shit count? He awards it two. Okay. I actually awarded it four. Hey, there's their points. They they were looking for them, and now they got them. They got as many as four. So there is the Morologia. We learn very little about it in this one. Right. Except that no one is... No one seems surprised at all that she goes from her ninth birthday party where she's pretty with it yeah, right. to having lost 99% of her memory. Yeah. So I'm guessing that what little she told them about the Morologian before she went crazy suggests that it probably happens pretty quick. Yeah, she told them she fucking basically just falls off a cliff intellectually. There's something out there called the Krenum, and it has Chronoton torpedoes, and it is strongly being hinted that it's going to keep happening, that we're going to actually see this happen. Yeah. I mean, she gives him a warning at the end of the episode. literally attempting to do world building here. Yeah, at the end of the episode, Uh, she tries to, like, warn Janeway. She's like, someday you're going to run into these Cranum dudes, and they're real dicks. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, Okampa give birth through their backs, standing up. Gross. That's nasty, but I guess it's something. I mean, Uh, always nasty, too, to be fair. I gave it four, so... How how many worlds (laughs) did it build for you? Uh, well, let me go over what I got that's different. Future Neelix implies Kess only has one lung. Um, when he tells her. At least she's still got her lung. I don't remember how it came up. Um, I kind of missed that. The Yatho of the Beta Quadrant can see the future, according to Future Doctor. Um, the Krenum, Chronoton Torpedoes, you had all that, Anti-Chronotons, Morologium... I only had it as a two, but I guess you're right that that Krenum thing is... I guess they're... It's kind of like when they told Tuvok about that alien race that he was going to have to avoid. I don't know if those guys ever showed up, but there was <laughs> the a... whatever period or whatever. <laughs> yeah, there was at least reason to believe that they might at that point. I don't know. It's been like five episodes. I, they I might still show we're up, done I with that, but yeah, I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I gave it a three. Why not? Why not? I'm feeling generous. They have as many as four points so far. Uh, characterization, Ben, uh, back to four points. Dr. Van Gogh, I guess Ocompens can reach nine years old. I think she's told us that that's about how long they live. Um, and they do show their signs of aging. Uh, works out pretty good for old TP. Kess never sees him bald. Well, I don't know. I think we all saw him bald in season one. (laughs) And, uh, he can go back to chasing Skirt. The wanger is TP's son-in-law. That explains the... I'm not gonna. I don't. You know, I'm not even gonna say it. I'm not even gonna like cross that line. He said our. Ra- he said our racial thing. Uh, I guess Neelix is okay that Cass is with TP. Yeah, Neelix doesn't really seem like bothered by much, even though the whole ship's exploding. So maybe he's on drugs or something. Um. Then he says he's, he's just finally Tuvok has finally broken him down. Like he works for this guy who hates him now. <laughs> he wanted to so bad is the weird thing. Yeah. Anyway, it was a four from Ben. Um, not so much from me. Uh, in real time, is Kess ever going to be our Kess? And does she ever count for this category? I guess she is. She's just in the future. I don't know. Is she ever in our real time period so that anybody else's notes matter either? I guess at this party in the end, 
where they all got so many great jokes. Where she decides not to tell anybody about anything. It was a two for me. There wasn't a lot of it, and I don't care for Cassie. If you're going to make an episode all about one character, when are these shows going to learn? The post-TNG shows especially. If you don't have any likable characters, then you have to make it the captain, right? Yeah, I guess so, huh? Like, why should I care about this? Why is Kess the key to all this? You never show her in any episodes, so why suddenly do I have to spend the whole episode with her? I'm just saying. Make a Janeway or something. They Two have for me. really avoided making a show about Janeway. Yeah, they almost never do it. Like, really? Like, let's let's take a look here. I'm gonna, let's go back. There was the one where she went through the ritual. Uh, favorite son, obviously not. Rise... I don't remember which one that was. Space that was... Elevator. She's not basically not in it. Yeah. Uh, Darkling, that's Jekyll and Hyde. Unity, that's a Chaco. Blood Fever, that's a, a, a Balana Vorik joint. Which Coda. one was Unity? Uh, Unity is the one with the Borg where Chaco get, gets oh, captured. God. Okay. The, the right. blonde yeah, lady. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember which one Coda is. Anyway, the point is she's the captain of the show. She's captain of the ship, main character of the show, whatever, and she's just, she's not in the show, really. She just says a few lines on the bridge every time, and this one, she was dead most of the time. So, don't know what's up with that. So, I also gave it two. Okay. Uh, it's very, very tough to award points for things that will happen in the future, and also maybe they won't. Yep. Uh, we get as many as 40 seconds in the real timeline at the end of the show. Did you know where that took place? Some of the future implications are pretty gross. I definitely do not like Harry Kim marrying a baby that was born on the ship. Oh, yeah. She must have been like a hot one-year-old or whatever. Nasty. How long do you think he waited? Nasty. Fucking nasty. Shit's nasty. They remind us many times in this episode that Kess was less than one when Voyager started. Woof. Uh... And then uh, Schmollis, in particular, doesn't come off looking great this week. He makes a big whoopsie. He's not, he's not beat up about it at all. No. And every every time they go back and she says biotemporal chamber, he makes a point to talk about what a genius he is. Yep. And like, by the way, I know this happens a lot in Star Trek in general, but this week it is a theme of people who do fuck ups and just go, meh. What are you gonna do? I don't know. It's not really my fault if you think about it. It's everyone else's fault. Um, yeah, it's just like this was uh, this was rough. This <laughs> you know, was a they, rough episode. They talk about that trilogy and how bad the trilogy was, and then you. This is what comes after, and you just go, "What's the difference?" I mean, so I, let me say this: this episode moved at a very fast pace, mm-hmm. and that made it, I think, easier to get through. I guess so. What did we agree was the best of the, the trilogy? The elevator one? The space elevator, I think, was the God. best. I don't it know was. which one of these was better, this one or space elevator, but... It was not good. It's just... I don't know. I knew I, I, I didn't have the balls to hope for a better Voyager. But, like... Boy, wouldn't it have been nice? Yeah. But then it, like... It was never going to be a time travel episode. I know, Yeah. <laughs> Here's the wild thing. This is considered one of the better episodes of Voyager. No, it's by who? By reviewers. Brian and Braga? Many reviews trying to find a take. <laughs> and uh, even by Burned, the German guy. 
Oh uh, yeah, I often yeah. He sometimes he's not he's not on those. He's not uh, get it right. Yeah, and I I just I just didn't get it, and it was be, because it's not about anything. It was always going to be in trouble score wise for me. Yeah, but like this is one where I look at it and I have given it a total of six points, and I don't feel bad about it. Yep, and I give it six, and I feel fine. <clears throat> That's a Beatles song. I do have some uh, quick. I gave it six, and I feel fine. <laughs> right? Is that was it their contribution to the Doctor No soundtrack? <laughs> he did feel fine. <laughs> he, he felt fine putting six in what he thought was a sleeping James Bond. Yeah. Uh, quick hitters. Ben's got some. That's a shitload of fondant on that two blue cake. Yeah. Picture with the baby makes it look like she doesn't know what to do with a baby. <laughs> Occasionally, when when Janeway says Tuvok, I hear Tupac. Well, then you think of him in that do rag. Exactly, (laughs) he could wear that do rag. Also, he uh, he is the guy in Spaceballs who yells, "We ain't found shit." Yeah, you know, I don't know if I ever noticed that. Sometimes I notice these things and then I forget about them all over again. But it either way, it was like it was new to me, and I appreciated it very much because I was like, you know, that guy is kind of familiar. It's fucking Tim Russ, just getting any job he can, you know. Well, I mean, you got to figure that was pretty early. Was... A full 10 years before he got Voyager, but yeah. still. And he points out that it would have been a better show with Tupac as Tuvok, and I cannot disagree. It would have been, first of all, amazing. I'd love to see Tupac play a Vulcan. I like to think that he would have invent like the way Leonard Nimoy uh, snuck a Jewish hand gesture in, and he's like, this is what Vulcans do. I would love to think that Tupac would have brought some some real character to Vulcans. It would have been so good. Can you imagine him trying to act emotionless? He would have been like, uh, we don't eat pork. And you would have been like, what? One of the more outwardly emotional of our entertainers <laughs> would have been right. so amazing to see him try to act without emotions. <sighs> God, I can't stop thinking about how good it would be. Okay. And uh, Ben points out that uh, Tupac was uh, still alive even at the end of Voyager, so... Yeah, I couldn't believe that's true, but then I think about it. it I guess it seemed it, it seems crazy, but I guess it is true. That can't be true, though. Didn't the Voyager end in two thousand one? He was dead, right? Well, Voyager started in ninety four. Yeah, he couldn't have been. Oh. He didn't die that late, did he? That don't make no sense. You're kind of right. He died in ninety six. So Tupac would have been dead by this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then you would have had to make a fucking Vorik the main Vulcan. Oh God! A promotion. Would have been promoted to Chief Vulcan. That poor guy. Uh, quick hitters, you got any? Yeah. Uh, first of all, in my notes, I misgendered Kess's grandson. I really thought that was a little girl. I said the, the same start. thing. At the yeah. I said the exact same thing. I went. Uh, I that think kid, it's a boy, but that voice is tricking me. They got that kid one week before his voice <laughs> dropped because the kid did, was looked way too big to have that high pitched a voice. Yep. Then I wrote, oh, God, oh, no, is she Benjamin Buttoning? Uh, oh. Turned out it is. So that was exactly what was happening. Uh, I didn't like the idea of Tom and Kess having a baby and then Harry Kim marrying her. I didn't like it a lot. That's bad. Hey, uh, Kess's daughter, Linus, has a real Starfleet haircut, huh? <laughs> By the books. It's regulation. Yeah, for real. Which we know includes basically everything, because fucking, what's her name? Savick gets into the elevator with Kirk with her long-ass hair and goes, it's still regulation. And then I go, well, then, what are the regulations? Let's be real. It's weird that there even is one. Your hair's like fucking six foot long. I don't understand. 
is there like one piece of equipment in engineering that you can't, you can't get your long hair <laughs> in because right. it'll just rip your scalp right off. But That's luckily, right. it's only 18 inches off the floor. Like, as, what's the regulation? As long as you put it up like you do when you went, go on the away team mission, then you're good to go in engineering. But otherwise, you can just wear it long, I guess. <clears throat> I watched Star Trek um, 2 last week. Uh, I wish we were reviewing Star Trek 2. It's hot, 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 hot fire, even though, yes, yeah, some of it is kind of dumb. But the person who making who was making it clearly knew how to make movies. It's a good movie. Well, it's first of all, it's it's obviously just a submarine movie. It's a submarine, it's a submarine movie. movie that happens to be in the Star Trek universe, Bro, and it was done by a guy who had never seen Star Trek when they hired him. If we were scoring it, it would crush. It would crush. It has so many. It covers so many things, and it it covers them in a way that is obvious enough to score a lot of points, but not so obvious that you make wanking motions. Yeah, it was. It's really well. Good. There's a reason it's widely considered the best, even though I definitely like four better. Four, not a Star Trek movie, but a very good movie. So yeah. entertaining. And it's weirdly a time travel movie, but it's like... Also not about anything, only, but who cares? The only one that gets it right. <laughs> yeah. Sure, it's a Save the Whales is exactly I mean, what it's about. I guess so, yes. It is literally about Save the Whales. Well, I mean, you could ex- you could expand it, right? Like, don't be cavalier about the the death of any part of the ecosystem because you never know a fucking huge alien probe might show up and just wreck the place begin like where are my buddies finally stakes i understand everyone's always talking about climate change i don't get it if you tell me an alien species is going to come blow up the planet because the whales are giving them the cold shoulder then i will help save the whales i've been talking to whales for thousands of years (laughs) it took me 180 years to get here where are the whales oh they're right there okay i'll go home Okay, uh, I was wrong. There's still two of them. Woo! I didn't actually want to hang out or anything. I just wonder why you guys were returning my calls. That's all. Um, anyway, sorry. We have totally. I, that's my fault. Uh, it's just I was just so excited about the idea of getting to talk about Star Trek Two, and then of course Star Trek Four. Even more. We should so. just do two, four, and six. We shouldn't even bother with the other ones. No, we should. If we're gonna do them, we should do all six of them. But, but Spock has rocket boots. In five. I mean, realistically, we should do all thirteen. But the B4. Uh-huh. Yeah, that one's not going to go good. Huh? I don't really want to watch that one ever again. I've done a good job of not watching it since. So What I... are you talking about? Picard fucking cuts it up in a dune buggy. <laughs> while Worf shoots a machine gun off the back. Oh, God. Those weren't good. They weren't good movies. Anyway, you're quick hitters. Come on. Uh in which of these time jumps did Kess learn enough about the biotemporal chamber that they can start building one in an afternoon? It's not clear. She At no point do we ever see Kess turn to, to Shmoles and go, you're going to have to explain a lot of this to me because I know I'm jumping again. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, she should have fucking gone back with some schematics tattooed to her or something. We see... <laughs> I don't know if the tattoos would have gone back. Yeah, probably not. Uh, we see Kess revert all the way back to a cluster of four cells what does that mean in what sense was cast there she did when you're four cells you don't have a consciousness to experience that well we experienced it and that's all that matters yeah and then why does she start jumping forward again uh i think that was how do her old memories return i think that was literally just a fake out for us I don't think it had anything to do with the story. I don't think she <laughs> experienced it. She I don't, was just there in the fucking yeah. biotemporal chamber. I don't the whole think time. she's like, oh, now I'm a cell or anything like that. I think it was literally like, oh, I guess they failed. Oh, no, they didn't. So 
so what's the thing where she's telling her dad about how she's got to get up to the surface because fucking neelix is coming or whatever oh god she did experience that didn't she yeah oh fuck i don't know that i guess she experienced being a collection of cells (laughs) i don't know what to tell you (laughs) why did she get her memories back at the end i don't know why is she why is she regular Kess again and not uh this is a new Kess who knows a like a literal handful of things about the future but has sort of only lived three days yeah that's true she gets her old memories and she remembers her experiences in the future it's weird they're cowards they're they are unwilling to 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 deliver the hard blow that we get in another episode this week (laughs) of replacing a character with a version of themselves that is correct and it was a huge difference it took, it took huge fucking fucking doorknob balls. Matt, listen, I didn't want to get into this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like... It's an eighth of what happened to Harry Kim. <laughs> That's right. And we all know how different he's been since. Never forget, this is not the right... This is not our Harry. It's Harry Kim too. Our Harry died. Um, uh, This one really shit its pants at the end. I'm super glad that they left open that none of the things that she saw are guaranteed to happen. Mm-hmm. Because we all know old 7 and 9 is coming to take her place. Yep. She getting the fuck out of town, and it is not her choice. They're saying, hey, didn't really work out. You can leave. We found someone with bigger tatties. That's how this works. Welcome to the 90s, bitch. <laughs> you know the rules. You get it. <laughs> um, But do you think... So at this point, they... uh. They didn't know about bringing in Seven of Nine. And they didn't know, even when they first made that idea, who they were going to cut. They knew they had to cut someone for the budget. Oh, good. And they eventually, and I'm guessing pretty quickly settled on cast, but like, there had to have been a lot of contenders, right? I was going to say, how good would it have been if they had to cut two for the budget? How good would it have been? It could have been, this show could have been even better. I was going to make her and Harry Kim. I was going to say her and Neelix can go as a fucking team. (laughs) I don't fucking care. They ain't nobody. But yeah, Harry Kim, sure, why not? He gets fucking... Harry Kim 2 gets killed, they don't bother replacing him? That'd be great. Uh, but do you think that this script was a low-key threat to Mulgrew? Like, we could just make Chuckles captain, he doesn't rock the boat. I See mean, how normal it all seems without, without you here? We know from that fucking hatchet job fucking ambush book that she saw lots of things as a threat to her, so she probably did feel that way. And we know that uh, Chicote was real. The Beltran was real checked out. Yep. <laughs> it's a weird and choice. And listen, if they're trying to... I mean, Janeway has been a real checked out captain. Yeah. For some reason. Like, as soon as they decided they didn't know how to write for her or whatever, they checked her right the fuck out. Chuckles could have come in and done her two lines every week. That's all he wants. He just so wants a steady job. That's it. Uh, ramming speed and uh, <laughs> set the ship for self-destruct. That's right. And... Uh, no, and, I'm not going to do that and go ahead and execute it. I mean, I have like to, and we have to make it right. And we have to make, we have to put right what once went wrong. Mm-hmm. And also, we need dicocilium. That's right. Please do some more mining. Our stocks of minerals are getting painfully low. So, anyway, I just, uh, I give best actor to, um, I guess, the version of Tuvok who really still hates Neelix. Yeah. And uh, worst actor to Kess's dad. I don't know. <laughs> I have, they just got a catalog model or what? I said, well, that, is her dad, that dude was a fucking mannequin. Is, it, is her dad Craig Kilbride? What's happening? <laughs> I mean, a little bit, right? <laughs> That's who I thought it was. 
Um, Craig Kilborn, everybody, in case you're uh, wondering. Quick, quickies, give me some quick hits. Yeah, I hated everything about this teaser. When it went to credits, I realized my mouth was all full of saliva, like when you're about to throw up. And I just said out loud again to nobody, great. Great. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the teaser and then the next the next couple of time jumps she keeps mentioning that there was another person there who mm-hmm. was i think the point of view of the at the teaser who was that supposed to be what was that about man i don't even like the doctor is giving someone instructions and i'm like i don't think it's linus or andrew because i think they're both in the scene was that supposed to be tp but we weren't supposed to know yet oh god was it a was it a fucking tease that she's married to Tom Paris that is not, for not, one minute? It's not an imp- one minute of tease? Not an important enough fact to tease. It does not matter. Ah, uh, boy. Um, you know what it's like, bro. You get old, and suddenly you talk in a weird accent for the first time in your life. <laughs> what was her acting? What was she doing? Every time she was in the old person, was it, like, affecting the way her mouth moved? Because she could, like, she was putting on a weird old person accent. She was acting. <laughs> I forgot. Uh, let's see. Fake old Kess is mad dumb. This lady has said she's Kess's daughter like six times. And she's still like, who are you? She's just like. And she, she doesn't remember her. But also, she doesn't remember anything. <laughs> yeah. It's not like she's like, I don't have a daughter. <laughs> it's like, what? What is anything? Who am I? I don't understand things. <laughs> Uh, TP, the Doc, Neelix, everybody wanted to bang her, and she wasn't even one years old yet. Well, what good times we all had in season one. Uh, in the Doctor's defense, I don't think he knew he wanted to bang her. Because he didn't know whether or not he had those kinds of feelings. Yeah. But everybody else, you're right, they're all on blast. Uh, the sack is opening Jesus Voyager. Oh, it's extremely bad. Marjan question if she was in the room for this. Does TP have to fuck her in the back sack? <laughs> hey, hey, that's a very good question, Marjan. <laughs> and also, you nasty. That's, it's not, it's not an okay thought. I didn't, I didn't appreciate her having the thought. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. Maybe she's got uh, another part somewhere. Maybe she's not a, not a closed loop, but like, <laughs> she's got t- two systems. <laughs> okay, maybe. Yeah, it could be. It just migrates to the <clears throat> back sack. TP says they lost Balana in what they will come to call the year of hell. So I'm guessing that era was approximately a year long, right? He says Balana was very important to him. But Kess has his baby during this Krenum attack. So during the year of hell. So what? He was mad into Balana, but then he impregnated Kess like one day after she died? Listen, here's the deal. First of all, we don't know how long... Ocampa gestation is it certainly can't be a year i'm that, just saying uh, though that would be real busted but also uh if you want to move on Kess, you got to move quick she ain't gonna <laughs> live long that's a good point you can't fucking build up a rapport and shit i just when they had her giving birth to the baby during a chronom attack i went oh man he moved quick he really like, went after it you don't know when she's gonna hit the menopausium either like that's... it could happen <laughs> soon who knows and then yeah is her dad craig Gilbride. Uh, that's it. Thankfully. We did it. Fourth place last week. Oh, there's more. Space nine. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. No, that's cool. We, this week we watched Visionary. 
The episode begins with an injured O'Brien being treated by Bashir after, I guess, one of these damn exploding panels did its re- very regular and normal thing on him. <laughs> All- yep. Also, Romulans are coming to the station for, like, a Dominion briefing or something. Also, a Klingon ship is here for repairs. There's already a lot happening. Yeah, the Romulans thought they made a good deal, but they did not, because apparently they have not been getting any information. <laughs> yep. Since they gave that cloak up, Starfleet was like, "Finally, get it." You let us. Not only do you let us have a cloaking device, you like sign a paper saying, "Yes, it's totally okay." Yeah, you can totally use this cloaking device, and we will know all about the Treaty of Algeron. But go ahead, we will definitely, definitely give you all all the information, everything we learn. And then they just went yoink and just never called back. And the fucking Romulans called, and Cisco was like. Yeah. I remember that. Um, then O'Brien is uh, playing darts at Quark's and has a weird time flash event to a moment on the promenade when Quark tells him the Klingons broke his hollow suite. He flashes back to his darts game and is messed up pretty bad by the event. Credits. Yeah, All that happened one, before the credits. One quick thing about that time flash. Mm. Uh, usually... And it's going to happen in this one, too. Every time someone does a time whoopsie mm-hmm. in a Star Trek, we have to have the scene where the doctor tells him it's probably just a hallucination. Yes. At least in this Deep Space Nine, they gave us a visual clue right away that we so that we'd know it wasn't a hallucination, which is the point of view switches to past O'Brien, who mm. sees future O'Brien wink out. Yeah, but honestly, what are the odds it was ever going to be a hallucination? It was never going to be, yeah. and this is the thing. It's never going to be a hallucination. Yep. I can't believe we're doing these two episodes back to back. It makes me a little bit unhappy. All right. Four of the four of the five, man. What are you going to do? I know, but these two, especially with all the time jumps, like one at a time, yeah, time jump, time jump. Them. There's a lot of them in these two. <sighs> Cisco has a dumb conference with these Ramos where they accuse Odo of being a founder and demand more info from Starfleet about the Dominion. Later, I'm just going to... We'll clear up these two briefings. Later, Kira yells at them a bunch in a scene reminiscent of when Remick was interrogating the crew in the TNG episode Coming of Age, which was a better yeah, but a episode. Wor- but a worse version of it. <laughs> yeah. They're grilling her about the time Odo kidnapped her from the Defiant to go to the Omarian B2K Nebula. I don't think of that as one of the better episodes. I think it surprised us at the time, too, right? But like, It did. I don't think of that as one of the better episodes, even of season one. Uh, how much? How happy would I have been to get to watch that again compared to this? Uh, I mean, not only that, I'm just going to go back and look up what we gave it because I know we gave it mad points. I feel like that's around six, 16 or 20, somewhere in there. It got coming of age, received 47 points. Yeah, yeah, so that feels right to me. We liked a lot of things about it. Yeah, I would be so happy if it was at that level, but nah. nah. Uh, anyway, uh... In the O'Brien plot, which becomes, I guess, the rest of the plot. Uh, Bashir treats him for his weird time flash, and they suppose it's uh, probably just a crazy daydream or something. Fucking A. But, uh... You know, listen, listen. Um, Delta series radiation, yep. which is what we're calling it this week. Yeah, what does it do? What's uh, a common some, side effect? It does, some, it does sometimes cause uh, hallucinations, mm-hmm. so... That must be it. Um, oh, also, uh, we do have a theory that it could possibly cause time travel. <laughs> But whoops, Quark stops him uh, on the promenade to complain about his broken hollow suite, and then they both see that other O'Brien staring at him from across the promenade, which only sort of bothers Quark. 
Anyway, yeah, Quark is like, eh, oh, this is a this is your fucking problem. This is a, definitely a Starfleet problem. And he just walks away and not and again, not appropriately freaked out by this. But I guess every single phenomenon has already come to this station at this point. Yeah, they, I mean, for real. Do they you probably remember don't care. When, uh, <laughs> do you remember when Quark was heavily involved in the deal with the luck uh, sphere? <laughs> yes. That was able to God. somehow manipulate the quantum spins of shit and uh, cause good or bad luck. Please to, don't. To befall. It's, God, what a stupid fucking episode. Please don't take us back to the time when DS9 was Voyager before the flip. <laughs> DS9, DS9 was so bad in season one. Before the cosmic flip that made Voyager DS9 and vice versa. Um. Anyway. Anyway, I guess it makes sense that Quark would be like, nah. <laughs> he's seen it all at this point. It's only season three, but he's seen hey, everything. I talked to the prophets last week. I'm That's fucking right. whatever. None of this is anything. Yeah. Uh, anyway, while the senior staff is talking about it, he has yet another flash forward, this time to a big Klingon-involved brawl at Quark's. O'Brien goes and plays a million games of darts with Bashir at Quark's, hoping he'll see the formation of the brawl. But- I guess, like, I feel like I would have stayed away. Yep. I, you know what it is? Is I think he feels pretty proud of the fact that that Klingon is fighting him, and then all of a sudden another version of him is behind him and hits him over the head or whatever. And they he's do. like, "That's gonna be cool." <laughs> yeah, Bashir's, I'm gonna look real cool when that happens. Bashir still doesn't believe him, but as soon as he says he doesn't out loud, some Klingons come into the bar and see some Romulans. Guess what happens next? You're wrong unless you guessed twin time traveling O'Briens beat some Klingons down. <laughs> Because, as you said, that is what happens. Two O'Briens beat up some Klingons. But then he has another flash forward and sees himself get blasted to death by a rigged panel in a corridor, which is depressing. It is. And frankly, that's how the rest of these are going to go for him. Yep. They, uh, he saw the one good one where he beat some ass, <laughs> and now it's bad news. They go check that specific panel out and find nothing, but now they know somebody is probably going to tamper with that thing. Because I guess now they're starting to come around that this shit's real. Uh, anyway, they determine that what's really happening is a, a singularity. A quantum singularity is messing with O'Brien's weird radiation, but they don't know where it is. For some baffling fucking reason, they don't understand it with the Romulans on board. Even though we all know at this point in Star Trek, not like just in this project, like before this time in Star Trek, we know that the Romulans use That's artificial singularities as their fucking power source. It is well established. Hey, does uh does that ever cause a time problem? Not that I've ever not not in like Times Cafe or anything. Is that what you mean? Ever like cause them to go back and forth and watch Doctor Crusher get her guts all shot out? <laughs> but only briefly. She's actually fine. Um, God. Uh, anyway, this is the thing. There's nothing wrong with the continuity of this, but they're just that- dumb. It's just, they're just so dumb. It just it makes them seem very, very dumb because as soon as they're like, oh, there's an orbiting singularity, I'm like, cool, 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 cool. It's the Romulans. Got it. Cool. Yeah, like in every other like, way. We can't find it anywhere. I'm like, yeah, because the Romulans <laughs> cloak their ships. It's cool. They talk about cloaking a lot in this episode. Also, the Romulans are here and you know that. Cool, 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 cool. cool. Like in every cool. other way, Cisco and crew are intellectually lazy. So they just never and bothered really to learn. his laziness. They never looked, looked it up or anything. Anyway, Kira says that because of bad replicators, she had to move the Romulans to that exact section of the habitat ring where O'Brien got zapped. So, the game is afoot. Either somebody wants Romulans dead and rigged the panel, or the Romulans don't want anybody in their quarters, so they rigged the panel. Right. They eventually detect that the harmful device is beamed into the panel, and that it is a surveillance device. With, a, I guess, a security measure to protect it. O'Brien is pulled into the future again and sees his weird old corpse in a sickbay bed. 
he runs into Bashir, who accidentally killed him. <laughs> you know when you see your corpse on a bed, too, that you you immediately focus on whatever you don't like about your body. Oh, that's for sure. You look, it's like when you catch a look at your, a glimpse of yourself in the mirror, and you're like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, he saw his corpse, and he's like, God, am I that old? Gee, oh, fuck. Oh, man. Boy, why? I am a guy. I have every outdoor hobby. Why am I flabby? <laughs> that's right. That's it just doesn't make sense. I, I, aggressively is outdoorsy. Is it that I make cake o- make potatoes for every meal so much starch and also she's been gone for a long time and i've only been eating potatoes replicated potatoes every day the replicator i have to override the replicator every day because it's like get a eat a vitamin come on you have uh, surpassed your allotted monthly amount of potato and he's like like hell that'll be the day and then he jumps over he's got one of quark's fucking sticks that he puts in there that's right one of his fucking emergency info rods yeah exactly um Anyway, Bashir walks in again. Bashir accidentally killed him. Doesn't seem very put out about it. And um, he tells him, hey, just tell me about it when you go back. So I don't kill you. Yep. So I guess he was counting on uh, O'Brien showing up there for some reason. Uh, anyway. He is he is the least surprised that anyone's ever been to see a dead man yeah, alive. Yeah, he has the immediate jump scare when he walks in. And then after that, he's like, oh, cool. All right. Hey, here's what happened. I accidentally killed you. I'm not good at medicine. Please go back and tell me what I did. Go tell me to do a basal or artery scan. Yeah. That's uh, it. Nothing complicated. Yep. Just scan that one zone. Odo finds the quarters where the transport happened of that harmful device into that panel and determines that they rigged the replicator to become a transporter. He suspects the Klingons, who through his contacts he has determined have like a covert strike force or something here to spy on the Romulans. I guess a covert spy force probably then. But he does specifically say that they're a strike force oh, that, right. re- that reports directly to the High Council. You didn't write that down wrong. All right. It just, I guess they also do spy stuff. Yeah. Uh, like if we sent SEAL Team 6 in to plant bugs or whatever, but also they weren't that good at it. Right. They weren't as good as Odo. He uh, he captures them and begins his interrogations and uh, basically threatens to expose their shit. And because Klingons only care about honor, I guess they turn like right away. Um, then they shouldn't be doing this fucking job. Yeah. Isn't it kind of the uh, basic uh, premise of honor that you don't do something if you would be ashamed if it was known? That's why in World War One the British refused to have spies. It's a real thing. Um, <laughs> they had changed their mind by World War Two. Yes, pretty pretty heavily. They did some. Uh, they went fun the other stuff. way. They did some fun stuff in World War Two for sure. <laughs> There's some great stuff in um, Riley Ace of Spies where the the other English people are very upset about the things that he is doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you read the real stuff from that period, they were kind of just throwing everything at the wall <laughs> yeah. and seeing what stuck. They tried. They did so many fake outs. Yeah. Um. Meanwhile, O'Brien and company are talking about that dang singularity. It's orbiting the station now, but what is it? What could what could it be? It's traveling in a vaguely elliptical path. Uh, and he flashes again. It's oh, it's giving it's giving out a bunch of tetrions. Yeah, I wonder what that, that is. We have. Hmm. Maybe only heard in relation to cloaking before. <laughs> he flashes forward again to a station evacuation and a runabout encounter with himself. The station explodes. Oh no! Since he fucking cannot tell O'Brien what has happened. Yeah, like the runabouts got scanners. Yeah, could it not be like, oh, this place is fucking chock full of disruptor energy? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Since they don't know what to do, they come up with a dumb plan to send O'Brien slightly into the future. 
hopefully enough to find out what's happening. It works perfectly because of writing, and he finds his future twin, and they go off to find out what's up. Yeah, but in order to do that, they got to give him a bunch of that nasty old radiation. Yeah, they radiated him up good. The Romulans... Dude, it was the Romulans all along! The Romulans... Who could have guessed? ...have decloaked and attacked the station. Real O'Brien is dying from this trip to the future, so... Future O'Brien, we'll call him O'Brien 2, has to go back instead to tell everyone what happened. Uh, the Romulans are interviewing Quark when Cisco comes in and does his Agatha Christie reveal thing. <laughs> yes. And, um... That's when I realized you... That's <laughs> when I remember you said. That's right. And then some dumb shit at Quark's, um... And then we're done, I guess. So, for the second time, I ask you, why? I mean, what? Um, I cooked one for this. Ooh, I like it. Okay, what do we got? I was, I didn't I didn't have to no take it. I was able to cook one within sort of my time lot. Okay, t- time time timeline period here. Uh, this is one about never giving up. Hmm. So, like, uh, you know, keep keep fighting even if it seems like you're gonna fail. Keep keep trying. Uh. Yep. O'Brien keeps seeing all of these visions of his death and he just keeps trying to change it and he's incensed even at the idea that his body might have just given up in that one scene. Yeah. So, I guess you know it's just like uh they just keep just keep persevering. Also, the Romulans are taking pretty drastic action here based on kind of a bad prediction of the future too. It's not I don't know what to do with this take. I only gave it 4 points, but okay. I felt like there were just at the edge of doing something. Yeah, I initially no-taked it. I said when life gives you lemons, use them to learn how to avert future disasters. But I'll just go with yours, but I can only give it two points. Because never give up. Yeah. That, ain't, that ain't much. It ain't much, for sure. Um, and by the way, I was hoping that at least at least once you or Ben would save me from a no take. <laughs> well, it wasn't going to be Ben on this one because his take for this episode was time travel's funny. Am I right? Yeah, or am I right? he, he ended he up in the same one, spot as me, which was which hmm. is weird because he when he had hindsight is twenty twenty for Voyager, he gave it four. <laughs> That's but, right. You know, he was in a different mood when he watched him or something. That often happens to me too. Um, execution. What had Ben give it? He gave it a two. He says, uh, small snippets of time jumps allow for aggravating small reveals that don't actually do anything. Weird that Bashir expects O'Brien to show up after he dies. I, again, felt the exact same way. Uh, no, he's going to say a word in here you might not want to say either, too. So just keep your head, oh, heads okay. up. Okay, clearly setting up the Klingons, but it's also clearly not them as they've set them up as buffoons. So they have cranky Miles O'Brien time machine. They uh, see what he did. You can't say that word anymore. No. It doesn't work as a wordplay if you use some kind of other word. He made a wordplay. Um, anyway, he couldn't get into it, and the tension never really seemed to be there since the stakes were too high. I think he means too high to be realistic. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a two for Ben. Uh, for me, it somehow managed not to get up to a two. <laughs> I give it a one. Oh, no. This, uh, oh, oh, Matt, something exciting is happening here. They do time travel so bad. On Star Trek in general. But still. How does this future O'Brien? The one in bed that he wakes up in the end. Not know about uh-huh. O'Brien's plan to jump into the future. Temporal mechanics. On purpose. They, they both hate temporal mechanics. They set it together. I hate it so much too. They hung a lampshade on it for you, man. I hate that. 
I hate it. Um, some very bad split screening as well there. Um, I couldn't, I didn't really have much of a take to execute on, but I guess you gave me one. So I'm trying to think on the fly here. How good did they do with never give up? Well, he didn't give up, I guess. And the station didn't blow up. <laughs> no, he even uh, turned his whole life and everything over to three and a half hours in the future, Miles O'Brien. <laughs> Where does Starfleet go from here with the Romulans? Why isn't that addressed? Uh, it seems like it should be pretty big, huh? Like, I guess, uh, on the one hand, what's Cisco going to do? He's going to call Nechev, who already doesn't want to talk to him. Oh, I get and that. He's gonna, and he's going to say, all right. So in the future, the Romulans were just here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and here's the deal: uh, they had a cloaked warship that was orbiting the station, mm. and O'Brien accidentally got Delta irradiated the day before. <laughs> so what happened was he was jumping into the future because that singularity they use as a power source. I just found that out. Did you know about that? Anyway, anyway, it turns out you know how uh, you know how singularities and Delta series radiation. Interact. Old story. Anyway, it turns out that the Romulans were going to blow up Deep Space Nine. Like, they they did it. They he saw them do in it. In the future, they did it. In the future, and collapsed the wormhole and everything. Yeah. Um, and I want to know what you're going to do about it. So, when O'Brien came back from the future to, to the present and told me that, I kicked him off the station. Anyway, <laughs> just so you know... Uh, they were willing to blow up Deep Space Nine and collapse the wormhole because they don't want to fight the Dominion. Bro, there is not... Do with that what you will. There's not even... You remember how Odo didn't tell anyone that he ran into that founder in that cave? Mm-hmm. Like, there is nothing. There's no... By the way, they don't bring it up in this episode. Seems very clear that the, he actually did not tell anyone. Yeah, because they would have had to be like, okay, so I know you're worried about because that Omari and like, Nebula adventure, but there's a different thing we need to tell you. And they're like, isn't it interesting that the founders didn't harm you? They're not like, isn't it interesting that a founder chose to impersonate you to try and <laughs> yeah. win Odo over yeah. to the Dominion? He literally did not tell a single fucking person about that and then nah, he's keeping that one on the inside despite the fact that it's very important information dude i found it so wild that they don't say anything about what this means about their agreement about the defiant what it means about general uh uh the general relationship between the romulan star empire yeah, those and Romulans the Federation. gotta go home and keep it a secret and they're not going to be able to put any pressure or get that cloaking device back or whatever but like it's just like nothing that, that, that the plot most never interesting happened. part of this episode, and it's just, nah. Yeah, I couldn't give it more than a one based on bad time travel, as always, and just an absolute disregard of the what would be a very serious incident between these two powers. Well, there's more. Um, first of all, Deep Space Nine is only saved and continues to exist because O'Brien accidentally got a dose of radiation before the <laughs> teaser. Yep. Otherwise, it's done. The show's over. They yeah. collapsed the wormhole and blew up Deep Space Nine. And by the way, they're probably going to hunt O'Brien down in that runabout, too. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, he wasn't going to make it. Uh, except I guess he would have been dead from the fucking uh, panel device before that. So whatever. Right, right, right. Or maybe dead in that bar brawl. Maybe the Klingons would have killed him. He died seven times in this episode. So, you know, one of the times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's super unsatisfying. Yeah. That the whole th that the, everything about the show is saved because of a dumb accident. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, if Cisco's right about the Romulans plan, how insane a plan is it? No wonder these guys aren't being invited to the bargaining table. <laughs> right. 
I'd shut I, these guys out. It's not a chess out. game with them, Picard. <laughs> well, okay. At best, it's a game of crossfire. That's what they say after admitting uh, every time they talk about the Romulans that no one knows anything about them. Yeah, I guess that's true. We ain't never even heard from these dudes before. It's always a chess game with them, isn't it? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Uh... I guess it's fun to see some future time travel instead of, like, one more trip to the past. Yeah, well. But it means they have to do some work here to show us why they believe what's happening to O'Brien instead of treating it like any of the one million other prophecy stories on Deep Space Nine. Uh, Yeah. But having said that, Matt, I thought this one mostly worked. I gave it five points. Okay, what do you mean it mostly worked? You mean aside from all the other things we just said? Oh, it's, uh... It's unsatisfying that the thing was an accident. Sure. But but that doesn't it's not inconsistent. I guess. I'm just saying it's fine. Yeah, okay. This is what I'm saying, Matt. We might be headed towards some fun here. Alright, well it depends on what you score the rest of it, I guess. Yeah. I guess so, huh? Um what about world building? Ben is a two. Um so in this episode, uh, we have Tetrion emissions, singularities, and Delta series radiation. Right. We have uh, Klingon intelligence and the High Council and Gowron. Now, these guys are being introduced as real. Uh, this is this is some new information about these old boys. Yeah. We've never seen Klingon intelligence. This may be the first time the word Gowron has. No, I guess Gowron appeared in House of Quark, huh? Yes, he was in. Yeah, he was in the episode. I I loved the look that he gave when he was reading the spreadsheet. In that one, <laughs> he gave a look. He did some good work. He gave the look that Geo gives when she's learning choreography. Uh, we learned that the Romulans are just crazy wild cards, just real wild cards. Yep. In fact, the whole Alpha Quadrant's real crazy right now. Boy, if you're the Dominion, you must be sitting around going, "These guys are going to be fucking easy. This could be a it's quick one." All we have to do is use our secret ability that for some reason Odo didn't tell anyone about. I'm one of the Romulans, by the way. Uh, I have... I'll talk about it in my quick haters. Anyway. Um, I give it four. I actually thought the Romulan and Klingon stuff meant they did more than the standard amount of world building. Well, that means we're coming back from the brink because I gave it five. I see. Uh, Hyronolin. Radiation. Uh, Delta series radiation. Uh, they repair damaged Klingon ships that wander through the area, I guess. So that's... That's something that happens at DS9. Um, a Romulan delegation would come all the way to DS9 for briefings. Seems out of the way. Couldn't they meet anywhere and then, like, just, like, have a virtual update? Or Luckily, we know absolutely nothing about where the territories of the major Alpha Quadrant <laughs> powers are in relation to each other, except that Bajor is pretty close to Cardassia. Yeah. And some of and Cardassian Space Borders Federation space. Well, anyway, the answer is because they're here to kill everybody. That's why they'd come out of the way. That's exactly why. Um, Bacon and eggs are still a popular food item. Also, uh, do you think they brought two ships? We never see the ship that the Romulans show up in. We know they show up in the docking bay, though. They don't, like, beam on. That's right. They don't beam on. So something docked there. So they've got a ship docked. Maybe it's a little scout ship or whatever. And this is the question I asked myself. big cloaked warbird. Yeah, I asked myself a hundred times, why are they even staying on DS9 if they have a ship? Just go back to the docking ring and go stay on your ship. Maybe they maybe there's some customs paperwork that we never see that they're just like, nah. <laughs> no, not worth it. Nah. We'll stay in the Hotel Deep Space Nine. For what it's worth, they do seem very disinterested in going to their quarters. Yeah. Um 
darts okay so yeah bacon and eggs still popular in this time darts are still being played too at least by a few people but we've already seen that a few times on ds9 mild hallucinations are a side effect of radiation poisoning uh continue or sorry cotton game is read my own shit continuity with the romulan federation agreement regarding the defiant and the dominion although it would be wonderful if it came up even once what happened to that romulan to a candidate to be on the show romulan fresco that's correct yeah um the romulans have never been through the wormhole (laughs) how come i know they've still they still have to stay on their side of the neutral zone right Mm -hmm. like how would they get there that's what i'm saying how come i know romulans use artificial singularities as power sources and the staff of ds9 do not know um it's irritating because their tech is related you can rig a replicator to become a transporter kind of makes sense Matter uh, energy conversion. Seems, uh, the idea seems to be that it's not easy to do. Well, it um, those those Klingons did it. They had to buy a device from a race that lives near Klingon space and makes money by selling technology to Klingons, though. I do often wonder about their R and D situation. Well, I guess it seems like they probably have just threatened this race of people <laughs> like that desert planet in Enterprise yes. where the Klingons kept showing up. To get the fuel or rocks or yeah. whatever the hell they were getting there. Exactly. So now these guys are like, yeah, I guess we, hey, we got a new gadget. Don't kill us. Well, now that you mention it, that makes it in here. Davlos on the Klingon border and which does 90% of its trade with the Klingon Empire. The Klingons have black ops teams, which is nice to know. This plan to send O'Brien slightly into the future works extremely well, but we will never see it replicated during the giant space war or anything. It's the usual Star Trek treatment. You know, just like uh, just like the Vulcans must have done a lot of shouting about how they never lie, and everyone just believed it. Mm-hmm. Or like someone told Data he didn't have emotions, and he just believes it, right. and everyone believes it. Uh, the Klingons do a lot of shouting about honor. And then just none of them. <laughs> But there's just like, like a shockingly low percentage of the Klingons. There's just we like see. basically, basically zero honor in the whole Klingon Empire. Every time you see them, it's because someone didn't do an honor. It actually, and also the whole cloaking device is real sketch. It's like the biggest difference between Worf and other Klingons. Is he he, he tries to practice what he preaches? Yep. Because he's only read the books and he doesn't know. He anything. doesn't understand. He's never met a Klingon. Even his brother's kind of shysty and like. Uh, for real, it's week sixty-two. We're about to see the first time Worf laughs this week. Yeah, that's right. So. Just imagine that. In fucking, uh... Like, He's been in 60 of those 62 episodes, at least. The leader of the High Council, Gowron, like, every other week is a good guy or a bad guy. He just keeps switching. He's like a fucking WWE character. Anyway. Um... Cisco claims he has 50 torpedoes locked onto the Romulan Warbird. I don't know why he chose that number. Is that how many they have, or did he just think that sounded like a lot? Maybe that's how many they can fire once. Um... So I thought there was a lot of work here. Some of it was bad, but enough of it was meaningful to the universe to give it a five also he should have threatened them with the defiant yeah he's got a warship uh, maybe that's what he meant does the defiant carry 50 i don't know we've never (laughs) seen a dederedix actually fight but like yeah we've seen him shoot the enterprise good chance against him yeah we've seen them shoot the enterprise 15 times until picard waves wharf off yeah and then they chat on the view screen or whatever uh well maybe you'll score maybe you'll you'll pull back in uh characterization maybe you'll get even even more close to parody uh i only gave it a three though um kira is mad easy to rile up they ask her some questions about odo and her relationship with him and she tells them that they can like cancel all their treaties and that she'll murder them (laughs) that's right which seems i don't 
don't know. She just could give him back the Federation cloaking device because yeah. she's fucking done being asked about her love life. And she threatens to fucking, I don't know, beam him to space? or She threatens to kill them in some way. I can't remember. Oh, she just wanted something about putting him on the other side of that window or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like, like, hmm, okay. Cisco decides to just kind of let this all play out. This, yeah. this thing being the sabotage of the Romulan quarters that may be meant to assassinate Romulan dignitaries and could very well end up killing O'Brien. That's his fucking big plan. I actually had to pause for a minute while I collected my thoughts when he said that he was just going to let it play out. Ben, yeah. what's going on in your head, buddy? Not Ben, our Ben. Ben Cisco. Um, Odo always investigates Quark when something goes wrong on the station, which is a good idea. Oh, I mean, it is. it may be outside of some concepts of jurisprudence, but on the other he hand... He doesn't have those. He has the camera that looks right at the bar. Everyone else treats Quark like he's a minor miscreant, despite his very serious he's a and terrorist. very long list of crimes. Yeah, Let's be real, he's a fucking space terrorist. Um, O'Brien has a hard time in this episode, but uh, is still just also extremely humorless. <laughs> just like, just if we're going to be real about it, I don't know why O'Brien sucks so bad. He was so good on TNG. Did Bashir know for sure that he'd see O'Brien again in sickbay? Because while he looked startled to see him initially, he doesn't seem like he's too upset or distraught about his friend's death, which he caused. Yeah. Just a three for me. I thought we had a little tiny bit of movement on the Kira Odo story. Yeah, because he, uh, she, she goes to tell him that the Romulans have accused them of this. That even the Romulans know he's got a thing for her. Yeah. But she doesn't yet, I guess. Mm. Uh, Odo's pretty on the ball this week. Cisco appears at the end and tells everyone not to worry if they just think positive thoughts the Romulans can't hurt them. <laughs> he just comes out with a wild accusation about the Romulans' motives, and then they're just like, how dare you, and they leave. And it's, 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 you know, they don't explain what their real motives are, but uh, his are crazy. Yep. But he's very certain when he turns that room into a little accusing parlor. Yep. Uh, And then you're right that O'Brien was pretty humorless, but I did like him asking Bashir how he could let him die. But also, I didn't like it. (laughs) You liked it and didn't like it. Oh, and Kira's insane in this one. She was on one. It's kind of a mix, and I just took it right down the middle and gave it five. Okay. Uh, Ben gave it a three, said Cisco asks asks about Odo's suspicion. Do you have any reasons to suspect the Klingons other than that Klingons hate Romulans? That's his only character note. Oh, yeah, this week he's not racist. Yes. Well, that's good to know somebody, somebody every once in a while manages to clear that very low bar. Uh, I have a just a handful of quick hitters. This Do week. it. Does Quark pay when a maintenance team fixes his hollow suites? I think that's a good question. I don't know. Because if he doesn't, and O'Brien just shows up and fixes them all the time, of course he's going to keep letting the Klingons in, even though they wreck them. They pay double, and if he's not paying to have them fixed... Yeah, what difference does it make to him? It's just opportunity cost. Like, if uh, O'Brien's team can fix it in the length of time of one appointment, he's ahead. You mean like a sex appointment yeah, in the hollow suite? Appointment. Okay. <laughs> One, you go in and it's all bed sheets and canopies and Dax's legs and then it's Quark. 
Uh, Kira's like, yeah, Kira's right. right. <laughs> yep. And then you've got a new thing now. Uh, were the Romulans not getting Dominion reports real time? They have to come here and collect them? Bad treaty. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a wild idea that they'd have to come here to do this. But the flip side of that is, I guess giving the Federation one cloaking device is basically a freebie, because the Romulans know about Eric Pressman's phase cloak. God, they must know something happened with that. They never get well, the full Picard story. does tell them at the end? Oh, oh, you're right. He, he, he uses it to get out of that asteroid that they trapped him in. That's correct. the Romulans are jerks, and they definitely wanted to trap them inside that asteroid. <laughs> but, um, yeah, they come out. You're right, you're right, he does. They come out, and he just decloaks and goes, hey, uh, I got some stuff to say. So the Romulans are giving them old technology. It's probably not even a good cloak, right? It doesn't seem like it is. The Dominion beats it every chance they get. And they know that if the Federation get desperate and, like, it's actual war... They, they'll probably start using the their real much better cloak that can do better things. Right. So it's uh it this treaty didn't really cost them anything. I guess so. Dax thinks low level radiation poisoning can cause time travel, <laughs> but luckily she doesn't have to explain it. Nope. But if that's true, it should be happening all over the galaxy every day. God, maybe it is. We've seen so many fucking time travels already. That's maybe everything causes it. Point. But it's mostly back, it's not forward. So many time travels. Yeah. Uh, even the Romulans have figured out that Odo is into Kira. Why is she so slow on the uptake? I almost got the feeling when she was telling him about it that she was just trying to get him to admit it finally. <laughs> she was like, can you believe it? No, seriously, though, can you believe it, though, what they if said? If she had given, given him, like, one look under her eyebrows at him or something, then I would have believed it, yeah. but it seems like she's not there yet. Is again, do none of these clowns immediately think Romulan Warbird when they hear about Dax's mystery singularity? Made me very unhappy. Cisco's big, cool plan is to let things play out. Yeah. Uh, the lady of the Romulan pair. Yeah. Looks like a Kilrathi. Like, they went wild with her makeup. <laughs> they did. They, she has extra face bones that humans don't have. Did the Romulans expect to get away with this one? They, because it seems it seems like a great way to fight the Klingons and Federation at the same time if they get caught. The way it is explained is like, and then no one would be around to say what happened. Because the station exploded and everyone will just think it's because of what happened when the wormhole went down. It's like, are no, no, nah, one scan. Are they going to explode too? <laughs> like one scan of the area would let you know what happened there. We know this. Yeah. We know their scanners can tell when weapons fire has happened and shit like that. Yeah, when Necheyev shows up and the station is uh, probably still floating around in a bunch of pieces. It's... And there's no wormhole. And they're going to be like, oh, that's weird. The Romulans were just here. Should we scan for disruptor energy? Nah. You know... I hated Cisco anyway. I'm done. There are times in, uh, in, in real life when small crimes with obvious perpetrators and explanations go unanswered for politically expedient reasons. Yes. And Star this Trek too big. Star Trek often says even the greatest of all crimes, even huge 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 crimes, if you don't have absolute proof, you're totally fine. Whereas yeah. I think the Federation would go, "Oh, it's pretty clear the Romulans blew it up." And they wouldn't just go, "Well, we can't prove it." So, what are you going to do? It's our word against yeah. theirs. Like yeah. they would be mad and there would be well, a space war. You know what and I mean? Also, they've been equipping to fight the Dominion. Yeah, they've been building and now up. Now the Dominion threat is gone. 
That's right. Who are they going to turn those weapons against? And it's not going to be hard to get the Klingons to ride, too. Oh, they well, we see that they walk into that fucking bar and they see some Romulans and that's that. Yeah, they go over there and call them Potoks and it's <laughs> fucking on. I have some things to say about those Klingons, too. Uh, I gave Best Actor to Quark throwing all the darts. Yes. Uh, it's dumb slapstick comedy, but Quark is the only person on the show that can carry it off, and he does a good job with them. Yeah. Uh, and Worst Actor to pick your Romulan. These two were nothing. Yeah. Um. Yeah, my quick hitters start with, are Romulans dumb now? <laughs> These guys... So in this first scene, these guys are either pretending they don't understand the distinction between Odo and the Dominion and the Founders just to be dicks, or they are for real a bunch of dum-dums. Because over and over again, they're like, I don't understand the difference. Do you think Tom Locke was busy being Jakar, or they just didn't want to pay the writer of uh, The Enemy (laughs) for an appearance fee to have Tom Locke show up? Yeah, he showed up enough on TNG, they're tired of paying that one off. I mean, I, I'm glad that he didn't because it would have been incredible if he had showed up and delivered and been these that lines. dumb and had this dumb plan. <sighs> yep, <laughs> crazy. I don't know if I was remembering something or what, but I had a definite sense that these Ramos were changelings, or one of them was, or something. So, well, that neither one of them looks like a Romulan as we have seen them before. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's like just the too much makeup. One guy is too chubby, and we haven't seen Pardek yet. <laughs> oh, it's true. Fat Ramos and... haven't shown up. Right. So you know they've all been. Uh, strong cheekbones let's say yeah and the other guy yeah despite their super bulky jackets um and the other one again really looked like she would have been a named ace in wing commander three yeah <laughs> baktosh red claw or the like something like that i don't remember there probably was at least one lady one um they blew up a whole ds9 model for this piece of shit episode yeah, they took castings of the shooting model and blew them up. The entire explosion they filmed uh, took less than half a second, so it's way slowed down. Yeah. Uh, I had worst actor candidates, all of the Klingons. <laughs> they weren't good either, but they didn't have that many lines, but they can't say Patak, so it's rough. They were really, I mean, in that cell when Oda was interrogating, I mean, there was some real fucking wooden nothing coming out of those guys. Well, they only let one guy speak in that. <laughs> Ugh. Um, Hate in him. that meeting, but yeah, it sucked. Uh, did Ben? We, let's see, quick hitters. He said he watched that one third, so he was done with the time shifting theme by now. <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> and then he said, "Were Jadzia's spots darker or more pronounced this episode?" I didn't notice. I don't know. I also didn't notice. I, I, when she's on screen, I kind of tune out. It's easy to do. She doesn't offer a lot. What's well, like you know. You know she's not going to come up with it's Romulans real quick or the episode's over. Then they shouldn't have introduced that. They shouldn't even have detected the singularity. Yeah. Until, like, the end. It's kind of, oh, I see what's doing it. There's a singularity. Oh, Romulans. No, nothing like that. Right, that's two. Third place last week was uh, the original series. Oh. This week we watched Day of the Dove. Kirk, etc., beamed down to the site of a human colony, wiped out so thoroughly there's no sign that it ever existed. And a Klingon ship enters orbit, all blowing up. Yeah. 
the commander beams down with a landing party and accuses Kirk of attacking his ship and killing 400 members of his crew. And neither of them notice a floating kaleidoscope nearby. So fucking this pinwheel is just in every scene and no one notices it. But I noticed it. Uh, Kirk, uh, he demands that Kirk turn the Enterprise over to him. You know, in payment, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you, you damaged my ship, now I take yours, is what he says. Kirk refuses and uh, Kang, who is the Klingon captain, threatens to torture them all to death. Chekhov goes just batshit crazy at this point and attacks, calling them Cossacks and claiming they killed his brother Piotr on another outpost. Mm. And they put a torture device on him and start working it. Kirk uh, seems like he's he'll give him the ship. <laughs> and they're so dumb. They're so <laughs> dumb to fall for this. Because yep. he orders them all beamed up. Um, but he's got his finger on the special communicator button that says... It's opposite day on planet stupid or whatever. Yeah. And Spock's up there. So like the whole, the whole game's over. We know how quick Spock is. Like if, yeah. like say if another version of Kirk were to beam up, he'd know within a fucking half second, put that guy in fucking jail. The guy'd be just screaming in jail. <laughs> just like rending his clothes and spitting everywhere. In just a great cutaway. <laughs> and it's like, yep, that's all we need to see of that side of this universe. God, that was so well done. Anyway. Um, uh, so uh, Spock beams the landing party up first and has the Klingons all suspended in transit until security arrives. So that's a cool thing that I didn't know you could do. Yeah. We'll see it later. They do it a bunch of times later, but that's fine. He uh, also beams over all the remaining survivors from the Klingon ship and has it scuttled. Uh, Chekhov and McCoy have a real bad attitude about the Klingons up here. Yeah. Uh, but Spock and Kirk both seem to suspect something else is afoot, but don't worry, they're going to forget it again. Yep. It's not, this is not one of those episodes where they figure it out right away. Where they say what the plan is in the, uh, right. one of yeah. the early scenes. Um, Kirk tries to leave the system because their, their comms are jammed and they can't make contact with Starfleet. Uh, but just, uh, just as they start to get towards, I guess, where Uhura is now expects to be able to talk to them because she's getting real pissy about it. The ship begins to turn and accelerates to warp nine on a heading out of the galaxy. Oh, God, out of the galaxy again? God damn it. They're always doing that. Uh, Bulkheads seal off the majority of the ship, trapping all but 40 crew members above. And guess how many Klingons there are, Matthew? It's 40. It's 40, I think. So Kirk goes down to talk to Kang to see how he pulled this cool trick off. And, of course, Kang denies it. They do some dumb punches, and all of a sudden, objects all around the room, including the crew's phasers, turn into swords. Mm -hmm. They just turn into swords. Yep. Kirk and crew make a fighting retreat, and it, Kirk somehow still thinks this is a Klingon plan, because if he knows one thing about Klingons, it's they still know how to fight with swords, yeah. so this gives them a weird advantage. Not only that, they all look like they've just, had some fencing training. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> Despite the fact that uh, if they could do this, they could do so so much more that would be useful. Yep. Uh, Spock points out that it makes no sense at all. And uh, Chekhov heads down again against orders to take revenge. Yeah. And at this point, Sulu comes over and he's like, the fuck is up with Chekhov? There's no such person as Pyotr. Yeah, they're like, hey, his brother got killed and he's mad upset about it. And he's like, well, he's an only child. He doesn't have any brothers, so yeah. I don't know what that's about. Um, I guess that's not in his service record. They didn't Normally bother to look it up. Spock or Kirk would know that. They didn't bother to look it up. They just took his word for it. Yeah. Um, 
uh, Kang and his wife Mara, who is also his science officer, begin uh, their plan to take control, starting with engineering. And Spock does a scan and discovers that, hey, it's not just us and the Klingons on here. There's more life on board. Yeah. Uh, turns out that the Spock now knows there's an intelligent alien life force on board. And again, does nothing about that knowledge. <laughs> That's right. And by the way, we've already seen the pinwheel in the room a hundred times. Yeah. Somebody a- look at the pinwheel. Uh, the Klingons have taken engineering. Kang calls up to the bridge and tells Kirk he's turned off life support. The crew keep getting more and more paranoid and crazy. McCoy's a full racist at this point. Yeah, Georgia's fucking pouring out of him. Yeah, uh, Scotty's pretty far gone. Uh, Worryingly, even Spock's a little out of it. Yeah. And at this point, Kirk finally realizes that this whole thing is being staged for them or forced on them in some way. Uh, Including when power suddenly returns to the bridge, despite the fact that whatever Sulu was pushing down there didn't do anything. Right. Uh, Mara leaves to go interrupt the life support again, and uh, Kirk and Spock are going down to engineering, where they have finally figured out the alien is. But they run across Chekhov trying to force himself on Mara. Yeah, he's going to do a real good old-fashioned rape. Yeah, it's going to happen. Uh, Kirk knocks him out, and don't worry, also says he's not responsible. <laughs> That's right. What Wasn't really Chekhov going to do a rape, was this alien. Right. Uh, so good that he knows that, despite the fact that Chekhov is pretty crazy when it comes to women. Yeah. Um, I guess he's crazy in the romantic way instead? I don't know. He's a crazy romantic. That's what people describe him. Doesn't, it doesn't matter. Kirk said it doesn't count, so it doesn't count. That's right. They take Chekhov to sickbay. McCoy reveals that the wounds of all the people who have been cut up by swords are healing impossibly quickly. Mm. Like they're just meant to fight forever in perpetuity. And this is what that episode of Deep Space Nine ripped off. I also have somehow did better, frankly. Yeah, I also have They made it about that horrifying scenario instead of this. Yeah. Um... Spock noticed, so the red shirt from the crew mission shows up again, and he's pissed off. And Spock notices that it has made the alien entity stronger. Yep. That it's feeding on the rays. (laughs) And uh, now Kirk's plan is they got to bury the hatchet with the Klingons. They got to starve this thing out before they run out of dilithium crystals and they're just floating in space. Because they, again, are racing at warp nine. So their first plan to make peace and get Kang to the bargaining table is to threaten to kill Mara. Uh, really a brilliant plan and also um, totally in character. It's a super good plan and Kang uh, says, well, come on, man. She gets it. She, 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 knows, she knows that I'm not the one killing her. She knows it's you. Man, I, I already know Mara's ride or die. Like, big deal. Boy, oh boy, you just made your first bargaining error about this wormhole because. (laughs) Well, you see, that's your first mistake because nothing would make me happier than if Mara died. (laughs) Um. But anyway, I guess this is finally what this the dumb plan works, because even though Kang's like, well, I guess you're going to have to kill her when they don't kill her. She's like. 
oh, I guess I've been, I guess I've been being served some pretty bad propaganda, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'll help you make peace. So they go down there. Kirk tries to explain this fucking thing to Kang. Oh, they do an intraship beaming to get down there. Whatever. Which they act like uh, is the biggest of big deals. Yeah. Uh, but of course, Kang doesn't listen to reason, so he and Kirk have to fight with swords mm-hmm. while Kirk tries to explain. Uh, luckily, at this point, Spock and McCoy show up with a bunch of security guards, which they could have done at any time, as far as I know. Yep, and they have a big sword fight out in the hall. It really seems like Kirk could have just walked down there and they didn't need to do the intraship beaming. Yep. <laughs> Um, finally, Kirk forces him to look at the kaleidoscope. Uh-huh, which is... And after a tense, one tense moment... Oh, by the way, by this point, it's just fucking glowing bright it's red. It's bright red and very what's bright. happening. Yeah. Uh, after a one tense moment, Kirk and Kang get on the intercom and order a ceasefire, and it works. And they, uh... Then they decide that's not enough. They have to go laugh at the aliens, <laughs> so they go tell, tell it to get out of their galaxy, and they laugh at it a bunch, and it, it leaves because I guess it's a shame. We don't need you anymore! We're on to your game! <laughs> and you're right, yeah, it's Sulk's away. That's not as good as Scotty's dead. It's just not. <laughs> it's right. Same game, but not as good. They didn't have time to rehearse it three or four times earlier, so... <laughs> um, Matt, what's this episode about? Hmm... Uh, we hate one another because we're told to. The cycle of violence continues because somebody benefits from it. Yeah. Uh, each side begins the episode full of hate and misinformation. Then a magic pinwheel literally forces them into committing violence on one another. So there's your metaphor. It's an eight. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, listen, <clears throat> you get no argument for me. I said in war, men fight and die for the profit of others who ensure that war will break out for that very reason. Mm-hmm. They are doing uh, big sci-fi. They're doing Cold War. Um, the only thing, the only thing that I didn't like about this, the only reason it's not, I'm not giving it a higher score is they have talked about the Cold War 15 times already in this show mm-hmm. and the Asian Brush Wars. Yep, and uh, it do- does not appear to help them recognize what's going on. If the computer hadn't sensed that extra fucking life form, they would have just died out there in space. Oh, for sure. So, um, I felt like the take could have been more explicit and it still would have only been as explicit as the rest of the Cold War episodes. So I gave it seven. Okay. It's still obviously doing a thing. Yeah. Like, this is a premise episode for sure. They, they went for it in a TOS kind of way. Ben's a five and I, just looking at his notes, I don't, I, you know, he's always doing other stuff when he watches these. Sure. He's not, it's not he's not dedicated like we are. <laughs> It's not so clear to me that he caught that they were doing a Cold War on this one. Right. I think his take would have been better. He still gave it five. He said, to avoid destruction, we must avoid senseless violence. He says half the episodes are about this. It's just not so applicable to our personal lives. Uh, it's true. A lot of them do seem to be Kirk in the end choosing not to kill somebody. I, w- I won't kill. Yeah, exactly. In fact, he will shout in your face a hundred times that he won't kill. Like he did in the fucking cowboy episode. <laughs> After his fucking double jump kick on Wyatt Earp. <laughs> was talking about senseless violence. That was senseless. Well, he can't harm me, but I'm mad, so I'm going <laughs> go to go do a fucking jump Fucking kick. missile drop kick from the top rope on this motherfucker. <laughs> he yells Hadouken for no reason. <laughs> yeah, so it was a five for Ben. Yeah, and, um, and Ben is a six on execution. Mm-hmm. 
he says it's blackface Kang again, but this is actually Kang's first appearance. Yeah, well, we saw him in DS9 already in this project. Oh, that is but true. But he's, uh, Deep Space Nine. he's a TNG era Klingon with the whole crinkle, crinkle forehead and everything in that one. Is very easily tricked by the transporter switcheroo. They made Mars make up much lighter than Kang's. Mm. Uh, I guess to be more attractive to us whites. Probably. I don't. I think that the makeup job is bad. I I don't think it's blackface in this episode. I just like it's just darker than the other Klingon makeup for no obvious reason, but uh it doesn't feel like he's they're trying to do anything with it. Yeah, I don't think that they did anything along with it that would make you think they were trying to say anything in particular about the blacks. Yeah. So then that that makes me think it's not blackface, but maybe. I don't know. I mean, it was uh, a bad time, so maybe. He says Stardate Armageddon, which is a log entry from Kirk. And he says that's pretty histrionic even for Kirk. Yep. Um, but again, he's a six on execution. Sure. What about yourself? I, I'm only a four. Okay. I guess the explanation for everyone being a little slow on the uptake this week is that this thing is filling their heads with race hatred. Yeah, even Kirk like, I, starts... That's gotta be pretty, it's got to be pretty distracting. Even Kirk starts to give Spock a half-breed remark. But they, yeah, it's true, but they are slow this week, and it's not, it's never fun to watch them be slow. No, it's true. I do prefer the episodes where he and Spock collaborate on a wild, wild fucking rampant so speculation. Agree. There's a computer running this planet. <laughs> they just look at each other <laughs> with like, the computer like, look. Well, yeah, it's a computer. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it was a computer like nine times in a row at that point. Um, the sword fighting is very bad and also entirely bloodless, yeah. despite the fact, I mean, we know this thing is projecting images like it made up Chekhov's whole brother. Yeah. But McCoy says a bunch of shit about you don't keep hacking on a man after he's down. And it's like none of these guys even has one drop of blood on them. Yeah, we see a bunch of dudes in the sick bay and they just look like they lay they in there. They all have the one bandage wrapped around their head <laughs> yeah. that indicates a, a injury. Um, so that's not great. Um, Mara gets threatened with rape in a way that goes mostly uncommented on, except that Kang seems pretty disgusted about with her about the whole thing, so yeah. that's not great. She wanted it, according to Kang. Does a little bit of victim blaming, because mm-hmm. her dress is slightly ripped. Yep. And this entity has incredible power during the first 20 minutes when no one is fighting at all. Yeah. But 30 seconds of truce at the end are enough to drive it out. Yeah, like it had the power to take over the whole ship and like hurt all the blow up the Klingon ship. And if there was ever a colony on that planet, if that wasn't a wild hallucination, blew that thing up. But then like they laugh at it, and I think you're right. I think it is very sad. Yeah, it's just like oh, they're not they, nice. They caught me. They're not being nice. I'm not gonna be here then. Uh, and uh, just like with the Romulans and the, the Deep Space Nine, there's mm. no resolution at all. There's no hint. <laughs> as to what this does to Klingon Federation. Like, do they understand each other better? Do they realize that some of what they've been told about each other isn't true? Do the, uh, does the Federation, do, does Kirk take them back and turn them over to the Klingon Empire, or are they going to jail? Yeah, does Kang try there's again nothing. to take over the Enterprise? Who knows? Yeah, there's li- literally nothing is known about what happens after this, and it's, um... Like, I don't know. There are places where you could make cuts. Yeah, You don't need... Do you, Cut one of the scenes where McCoy's foaming at the mouth in sickbay. Yep. And give us a little bit about what this means. Agreed. So, I'm a four. Yeah, I mean, uh, I had it as a five. Um, I mean, this is your classic TOS sci-fi. 
uh, people are controlled and warped into hating others, and I give them credit for trying to talk about what that's what that really says in real life about why wars are started and why people hate each other. Still, the use of the giant space pinwheel makes it a little weak. <laughs> you know, it's not like they yeah. use the governments of the space future, the imaginary space future, as analogs for our governments. They just use magic pinwheel anyway. Uh, and for some reason, this fucking pinwheel can't be seen by anybody. It's amazing. It's fucking always around. In the last scene in Engineering, we see that it shines light. Yeah, all over them. Like, it's not just that no one happens to be looking at where it is. This fucking thing is beaming colorful lights <laughs> yeah. in a swirling pattern all over the ship. And it's the 50th thing in the series that has boundless powers and loves meddling. So, like, that planet had a wild colored sky like they all do, but like... The inside of the Enterprise is extremely gray. Yeah. <laughs> Drab, even. If you saw just a fucking spot of color out of your in your peripheral vision, you'd be like, what the fuck is that? Yeah, what's going on over there? I better Not look at that pinwheel. Battleship gray or military gray. <laughs> That's right. Uh, also, they, they take some time to explain the idea that a balanced conflict means a longer, bloodier one. And I thought maybe that was some... Pro, some more of their pro proxy war meddling yeah. bullshit going on because there have been other episodes where they've been like it's the it's the most you know, moral the thing. only way we were able to escape it's the moral thing to do is to pick on all these little countries that might want to be communists or whatever and it's like i just i can't believe this is a, a thread that continues through this episode um and i guess they don't take the drawbacks of limited war into account because no, they're, 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 again, they'll do a sci-fi, but they will be a little weak about it. Yeah. Um. So something this cheesy and obvious really can't get anything like full marks. I mean, they straight laugh the monster off the ship with their sudden good feelings toward one another or whatever in the end. It's not great. But I have to give them credit for executing on the take, so it's a five for me. Uh, World building. Uh, ben gave it a six. Uh, he says a full-on colony may j- just be a hundred people. That's the amount of people that are on this colony in the beginning. If it existed. If it existed. It's, it's very unclear. It is hard to say. I mean, maybe there's no trace of it ever having existed because it didn't exist. Because they just happened to wander into this fucking pinwheel sphere of influence. Uh, Kang says, uh, we have no devil, but what about Feklar or whatever it was? Yeah, I mean, that's not these guys' fault. Yeah. Klingon pain doohickey they put on uh, Chekhov's head. Um, oh, don't worry. They have no devil, but they're well, they're very familiar with the habits of yours. <laughs> well, your own George Washington. Exactly. That's what they would say. Um, uh, clearly reciting a Klingon aphorism. The guy who said 4,000 throats may be cut in a, sing- in a single night by a running man or a single day by a running man, whatever he says. Uh-huh. Uh, ben thinks that's a super dumb aphorism. I love the world in which that became one. <laughs> that's right. I love the idea of just think of a guy just running full speed and just a line of necks. Um, he says they can hit warp nine pretty easily now. I think the monster's doing that because Scotty points out that they shouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. They shouldn't be able to just keep going at warp nine. They did do it to get out of. They hit warp nine point five and left the fucking galaxy in uh, how beautiful you are, Doctor Jones. Right. <laughs> but yes. Uh, so he gave it as much as a six. I did not agree. Um. <laughs> This colony only had 100 people, or did it? It's hard to say. 
um, suspending people in mid-transport was possible in TOS times. We obviously know it can be done a bunch in future Star Trek times. Yep. Um, the Klingons have been told some bad lies about Starfleet and their fucking internment camps or whatever. Um, for, I also had 4,000 throats can be cut in one night by a running man. Uh, we're headed out of the galaxy again. It's just that easy. It's just every week. Um, these Klingons had hella fencing technique. I did not understand why they were they were fencing like it was a Three Musketeers movie, but that's how they do it on their planet, too. Yep. Everything about this magic pinwheel. Um, I couldn't believe they're always so precise with their planetary and ship-to-ship transports, but the idea of intraship transport blows their minds in this episode. Yeah, it's really, like, we never see them, like, beam down and they're, like, wild spread out and one of them's on his ass or whatever. <laughs> yeah, like, they always it seem like, to get it. It seems like they can beam from the transporter room to somewhere else, which is what they do in this one. It's not sight to sight, right? Like, yeah. they don't beam them from the bridge. They go down to the transporter room. Yeah. It really doesn't seem like it should be harder. They talk about the immense risk involved, and that's why they didn't even know if it was necessarily possible. Well... They beamed over to Baylock's ship in, like, episode three when they found, you know, one cubic meter of space to beam into. For me, this uh, didn't have enough fact in it because I wasn't sure what was happening and what was a hallucination and nothing that seemed like it was, or not enough that seemed like it was going to last beyond this episode in terms of importance. I gave it a two. Uh, I'm a little rosier on it than you. Okay. Uh, in this episode, we see that there are at least 400 crew on a D7. That's true. Uh, from all of the references to which decks are controlled and all of the sets, it seems like engineering may be in the saucer section on the Enterprise. Oh, interesting. It's not clear how that would work, but... It's maybe. not in Star Trek Two. <laughs> it's not in Star Trek Two. It's very clear in Star Trek Two, but that's mm. post-refit. I get it. The uh, Federation suspects but can't prove that Klingons have been violating the peace treaty with raids. And then we see Klingon propaganda about humans, so I gave it as many as four. Okay. So not a big difference, but I'm on the other side of the standard three. And then characterization. Once again, Kirk is the only one who can keep his composure, presumably due to his love of Enterprise, which is all-consuming. Right. McCoy and Chekhov seem to be the two most vulnerable to racism. Yep. I believe Between that this too. and last week, Chekhov is a real liability now. Uh, yeah. Sulu was a swashbuckler at heart and a collector of old revolvers in season one. Here in season three, he's breathing through reeds to sneak into a castle and throwing ninja stars. <laughs> By what? which I mean he's got a katana and he karate chops someone. <laughs> But don't forget also his nightmare of space daggers that haunts him to oh, this God. day. <laughs> I, you know, he didn't know what he was looking at, I'm sure. He's like, he didn't see the picture of it. Haunted by space daggers. It was wild. Um, <laughs> I only gave it three for characterization. Okay. I think, frankly, it didn't show people in their best light. Yeah, Ben gave it a five. He said Kirk makes a big error discussing uh, the weakening of his crew by 400 trap below decks and then punches a prisoner just stupid and douchey um he thinks maybe archer would do it is definitely something archer would do and he would not need to be manipulated by the space pinwheel for that no uh Chekhov is pretty easily manipulated we've seen this a couple of times now mccoy uh too already has strongly held prejudices that amounted to a five um 
It was a three for me. Uh, I, at first, I thought Chekhov was getting the Kirk treatment this week, where he had a random family member that had... Oh, yeah, like Kirk's brother Sam, who died. Yeah, had got got or whatever, but uh, now he's an only child. But as always, he's insubordinate and crazed. I could not tell whether that was because the pinwheel was doing it, or if the pinwheel the pinwheel made him think his brother died and the rest is just Chekhov. There's no way to know. Yep. Kirk has great confidence in the ability of his officers, as you can see from his non-verbal signs to Spock from the planet. Um, and he's working hard to avoid having his mind warped. He does put his hands on Mara a lot, though. <laughs> Didn't really like that. She'd already kind of been through it with Chekhov. He could have been a little gentler. Yeah, that's true. He didn't need to go down that road. And he seems pretty cool with threatening to execute her to get Kang's attention. So, not amazing. Um... Again, not sure if this is racist McCoy from every episode or if he's been altered by the pinwheel monster. It is difficult, but I will say this. Usually, when his inner personality comes out, his Georgia accent comes oh, out, too. You're right. And that's the key. This week, he kind of didn't. Yeah. That's how you know whether you're getting the real unalter- unadulterated fucking Georgia McCoy. Yeah. Yeah, it was a tough one to judge because people were affected without realizing it at various points in the episode. Um... For me, it was only a three. And what was the deal with Uhura? She's too frustrated to work on the bridge, huh? She was very upset that she could not get anyone to communicate with her. Like, that doesn't make sense to be something that the kaleidoscope <clears throat> Normally, she's pretty cool, and it's Kirk who yells at her for not being able to get someone on the comms. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. She was just like, I, you know what? I'm going to be real mad about this to see if I can just make him not mad. <laughs> yeah, maybe if he sees how mad I am, he won't get mad at me about it. <laughs> Like, oh, damn it! Calm down. Bro, Shit happens in space. It worked. It did work. He did not yell at her this time. Uh, that's all I had. It was just a, just a three. Do you have some quick hitters? Uh, yeah. Did you already give your characterization? You oh. started. You started, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, hey, it's Kang. Kang is sneaky tall. Um, I remember Mara from Timelines. The the yeah, I got Mara in Timelines yeah. too. I got Kang too, but like yeah. Uh, again, this must be the same alien responsible for the Kaiopaka planet. <laughs> no, we know who did the Kaiopaka planet. Oh. They were put there as a punishment, uh, skin of evil style. Oh, well. Well. But they got the idea from this. That's all I got. <laughs> that was it. Maybe they met this guy. Yeah, right? They met this pinwheel and went, Dude, that's a fucking good idea. This pinwheel's got it. They laughed at him and then they're like, but... In terms of ironic punishments, <laughs> he's, he's actually he's, he gave us a really good idea. I mean, he's a stupid fool, and we should laugh at him again. But, uh, boy, I gotta say, everything I wrote down in this has already been said, yeah. except uh, Sc- Scotty has a, picks up a claymore because he's a super stereotype, and in this episode, Sulu has a katana. Yep. Although when he was drunk and could do whatever he wanted to, uh, he had a rapier. Uh huh. And they said, well, everybody knows he's a swashbuckler at heart. And I was like, this show's got it. Yeah, yeah, This yeah. show knows about racism. Nah. <laughs> they went Best actor. Um, straight into the it's racism a rough day. So, Yeah. It's a rough day when you feel like you might have to give best actor to Kirk. But <laughs> normally Spock's around, right? Yeah. I don't think Spock did anything in this episode. Well, he almost got into a fist fight with uh, Scotty. Yeah. Scotty. Uh, and worst actor, although I liked the line, uh, I am nominating worst actor to I would cut 4,000 throats and I would cut 4,000 more. 
just to be the only man to cut 8,000 throats, throats uh, in, in one, one night. night. Yeah, exactly right. You got it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, uh, but uh, we are in lockstep on this one. Okay. Uh, and after the after the others, that's encouraging. Oh, were we too far off on both of the other ones? I, I don't know. I, I didn't keep uh, track. We were less far off on DS9. I mean, and Voyager, uh, we weren't far off on at all, but it also scored horribly. Yes. We both gave it a six, right? That's correct. Yeah. We agreed that it was a six. A very bad. Second place last week. TNG. Oh, yeah. This week we watched Yesterday's Enterprise. Ben's pick of the week. Hi, this is Ben Town, your remote Star Trek edition correspondent with my pick of the week. Pick of the week. Oh, I thought we were... Okay, there we go. <laughs> I <see. laughs> When you play the Ben's pick of the week, I'm, um, I'd like gesticulate and move my head all around like I'm saying the words. <laughs> but I never uh, remember I, the words. I just mouth nothing. I just like mouth. I got mouth. a talking to on the 4th of July for cutting off the last Ben's pick of the week. Oh, my God. He noticed the, the first part. Yeah, he did. Oh, shit. OK. <laughs> He's paying attention. Hey, Ben. Yeah. How's it going? Um, the Enterprise detects a weird temporal rift. And as they try to examine it more closely, a ship comes through it. But whoops. You- no, I'll talk about it. But whoops, okay. <laughs> now the world as we know it is all weird. Tasha Yar is still there, the uniforms and lighting are all different, and the Federation's at war with the Klingons. Turns out that ship that came through the rift was the predecessor of the Enterprise-D, the crippled Enterprise-C. They beam over an away team and find some survivors who they beam back to sickbay for treatment. Guinan comes to the bridge and tells Picard that, that this shit doesn't feel right. They should have families on board, and they definitely shouldn't be at war with the Klingons. And what he needs to do is send that ship back through the fucking time portal or whatever it came through. It's got a pretty good chance if it goes through, though, right? Uh, Data says without hesitation that it has none. No chance. That's his math. That's his calculator going off. The answer was none. He fucking tried to do the odds, and it came up not a number, and he's like, oh, it ain't good. Yeah. I've never seen that be good. Uh, Picard tells Captain Rachel Garrett of the Enterprise-C all about this altered space future where they're getting royally smashed in this space war with the Klingons. She wants to stay in the future and help Starfleet win this war, so she asks Lieutenant Castillo to work with Alter Yar, I'm calling her, to get her ship up and running again. Picard shouts at Guinan a bunch because he knows he should believe her, but she sounds crazy, and Data told him that ship won't have any chance at all if they go back, so he's going through one. Anyway, he gathers the senior staff and tells them he is going to send the fuckers back because Guinan. Also, yeah. temporal directives that may or may not exist in this part of the, in this time frame or whatever. It is not clear, but I did feel like one of the weaknesses of this was that it, I, I didn't feel like Picard had good choices. Yeah. Picard tells Captain Garrett her busted old ship won't make any difference in the future and that they're going to lose the war anyway, so she agrees to go back. Uh, suddenly, the Klingons attack and Captain Garrett is killed in action. Now, Castillo, fucking Christopher McDonald, uh, will have to lead the old ship back. Yar has been getting looks from Guinan and starts to feel that something ain't right about herself as well. She asks Guinan about her alternate self, and Guinan tells her that she died and it was a meaningless death, which is kind of a bummer. It's a real bummer. She convinces Picard to let her join Castillo on the Enterprise-C and go back in time. 
Three Klingon cruisers attack as Enterprise C heads for the rift, and the Enterprise D has to defend them until they enter the that said rift. Shit goes bad and everything becomes on fire and Riker eats it, but they make their last stand as the old ship slips into the rift and time is repaired, sort of? Guinan calls the bridge and they uh, they tell her everything's fine and she agrees. And then, the, yeah, there was a nice bookend on this episode with Worf in the beginning and Geordi in the end with Guinan in 10 forward. What was this yet another time show about? Uh... Trying to do the right thing matters whether or not you succeed. Okay. So the, this, they're gonna have to send them back. They're gonna have to send them out to die. Isn't that isn't that tough? Isn't that a hard order to give? Is it the right thing to do? Who's to say if this future's not et cetera et cetera? Right. Anyway, they gotta. They're going to send them back to make the noble sacrifice, mm-hmm. even though they know they're not going to succeed. Well, Data like, said so. They're, they're going to die, right? Yeah. yeah. And it turns out to be true. The episode tells us that it's true, which is frankly something that the other time travel <laughs> episodes this week have not bothered with. No, there's not been any postscript on any of the other ones. It's just um, like, uh, I don't know, and then other stuff happened, I guess. Who knows? Uh, so it's fine. It's a fine take. It's a Star Trekky take. It does not need to be science fiction and... Uh, f- frankly, all of this is very, very contrived. Sure. In order to just tell this story about it's the thought that counts. Which, again, uh, so it's another one of those, too, where it's like, who's on the other side of that? Who's like, nah. Well, it's, it's true, yeah. No. Exactly. <laughs> I guess someone could be like a super practical, right? And they're like, don't. Don't bother don't trying to do the right on thing. A mission they're going to lose, right? Even if that's the right thing. To, whatever. Anyway, yeah. I gave it five. It's kind of down the middle for me. Yeah, um, I had uh, a meaningful death is desirable compared to a meaningless life. Talk about one that no one is on the other side of. Right? <laughs> oh, and also, that's not the choice. Because if the ship goes back, either uh, Tasha Yar is going to die here in this uh, When they battle, lose the space war. When they lose the space war. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, she may not know about that. Picard may be keeping that one close. Yeah, he seemed like he was whispering uh, that part. Or... The Which, by the way, goes, great small goes touch. Back, goes back without her, and she ceases to exist, and in the universe that continues, she died a meaningless death. So it's like, she really doesn't have good choices. No, that's true. Um, Yeah, what I said about that was, I mean, I guess so. I guess I should just quit this project and join the Peace Corps then. Yeah, Why am I wasting my time on this garbage? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I think a five is appropriate. Ben is higher, of course. Okay. Uh, ben is an eight. Uh, this is wait did I read that right? Yeah, yep. He's he's an eight. This is his pick of the week, so that's not a surprise. He says uh, sacrificing for others is an ideal that is noble to pursue and is recognized across cultures. Uh, it's hmm. a big sociological take since it's this sort of behavior that ensures the survival of a group at the expense of the individual, and that Star Trek is often doing a version of this take. Um, like in Star Trek Two, wrong. That's Star Trek Two, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, and he points out that what he means by across cultures is that they explicitly say 400 times in this episode, which is a little weak, that the Klingons value it. Yes. So uh, so he's an eight, and he's a six on execution. Yep. And he says uh, it's a cool concept. From other Star Trek canon, we know about the uh, A, B, and D. They haven't shown the B. Yeah, the B comes yes. after this, but yes. Uh, same director. Yeah. 
it's too bad. So it's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> this one's this is a good episode, yeah. and the movie where we see the Enterprise B less good. It's not it's not as good. It's got some holes. Let's say that. Uh, he says there must have been a C, and here it is. Right. Yeah. Um, he likes that Picard's careful in his approach to the time traveling vessel. He likes that Captain Garrett is competent and smart. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that he says they've set up Guinan's mystical abilities enough that we don't have any problem believing that she recognizes the alternate timeline. Mm. Um, he thinks they leaned on it too hard when she convinces Yar to leave. Yeah, um, he thought that was uh, too uh, facile. The crutch to rely on Guinan in general is pretty weak, but it somehow sells. And uh, the disclosure by Picard that the war's not going well is a nice touch to let him know that the choices are pretty limited. Yeah. So he gave it a six for execution. And what did you give it? Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it in characterization. I think the reason it sells is because Whoopi Goldberg and Patrick Stewart are acting. Yes, they're the two actors on the show are doing an acting. They do some and acting. It works. Yeah. Um, for me, I gave it a seven. So there are a couple of problems off the bat, right? That's going to start knocking the score down from ten or whatever. Star Trek time travel always bad. Um, yeah. As usual, they all end up in this alternate timeline. They're all in the same place at the same time, just like in the other timeline with minor differences. Even Wesley actually, the child. It's actually worse in this one, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Second, they all believe 100% with certainty that sacrificing the Enterprise-C will stop the war from ever happening, even though that is wildly optimistic speculation, which happens to be true because it is written by these writers. Yep. The romance subplot was hella corny. Corny like an old movie corny. Like when he gives that speech where he's like, and if you get into the, if you go back to the future see, or whatever and see a man in his say late 50s looking across a crowded room hey you never know and i'm like what am i watching what's happening who wrote this yeah that's true uh what was that dialogue from otherwise i found this to be a very well executed episode it hits all kinds of really good notes it felt like it was lovingly created the lighting is really interesting the sound the score is really good they make lots of little adjustments to the Enterprise and everything. Like, it seems like a lot of work went into it, and I really like the work that was done. Yeah. It feels like it's a well-made episode with some obvious Star Trek time travel holes. Well, they're always going to have those. Yeah. Um, I liked it even one better. I gave it an eight. Okay. I do have some criticisms. Yeah. Uh, in the opening scene, they went to the trouble of having the ship drop out of warp in the 10 forward windows. Yeah. But then they had the vortex form off screen. Yeah. Like, they didn't feel like they were going to be able to pull that one off. <laughs> They're I like, oh, we can't just make that thing appear right outside by wharf. Uh, I think it works that Guinan doesn't tell Yar that she shouldn't be there. That Yar works it out from context clues. Yeah. From the weird look and from Jordy saying, who knows if in the other timeline we're even de- alive. Dead or alive. And then she's like, ah, oh, that's why Guinan was giving me that fucking crazy look. Yeah. And I'm also glad from a story perspective, because I could see it going the other way, that they gave her better reasons to take on the suicide mission than just she's got a little bit of a crush on Castillo. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely has to be considered part of it. But yeah, it's the Guinan part that sets her off. Right. Uh, visually, this is one of the best episodes so far. 
it's it's really good looking and i think we were talking last week about where their budget must have gone or something because it's like there's some other ones that haven't really done much lately and this one was like they got the new model with the ambassador class enterprise c in there and there's all a bunch of space battles and everything sets on fire and ah it was really it's really well done yeah, I mean, the fight between the Klingons and the Enterprise was a little bit lackluster, but it was that's all TNG Starship fights. Yeah, they're all hella slow. Slow developing. Um, love the Ambassador. Mm-hmm. It's a great looking model. Yeah, it really is. Um, of course, it makes no sense that this crew would all be here together. <laughs> yep. And that's true of all of the alternate and mirror mm-hmm. versions. Yes. But this one doesn't have Worf or Troy. Yeah. intentionally and it does have yar and that specifically introduces the idea that things have gone differently in this universe and that it can affect who's there and who's not so then why are they all there so then so then why is wesley crusher there? yeah when he says specifically there's no families on enterprise why is boy wesley there why is geordie the chief engineer here also yeah why is Riker not a captain he was offered ships twice in the peaceful timeline <laughs> maybe they don't have enough ships anymore <laughs> Maybe they don't, but like... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it seems like there's there's no... Maybe Data shouldn't even still be there. Maybe Data should be the first officer or captain of another ship. Like, he's got 15 years in service and half of Starfleet is gone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I think the fact that it calls attention to the fact that things are different in this universe and people are in different different places makes it a little more fair to criticize that they're all here than Ugh. it does in the normal dumb mirror show where it's just you just have to hand magic. wave yeah it just has to be magic yeah you just go well i can't like, think about it the, the difference between the mirror universe and our universe literally is good and evil so <laughs> yeah. what are you gonna do yeah um uh, uh but aside from that main criticism this show is just this is a very solid episode and execution is its strength for sure like the production of the episode is the real strength here yeah um did you do any real life digging on this one was there a reason troy wasn't in it uh the reason was because the klingons would have wiped out beta beta Z. ah okay because they had gone badly in the war like she is not there for war reasons wow. it's not like i thought they were like oh, Sirtis was off filming a horror movie or something i thought they were like i don't know because she'd be able to she'd make the guinan part easier because she'd be able to add her own weight to I, I don't think anyone thinks guinan's lying so yeah i, I guess that's yeah, true I, no you're yeah. right uh, it's, it Sometimes she's not reasons, there for a plot reason, but it's—I mean, but for it's specifically account. for time travel plot reasons, not interesting. For, uh, yeah, not for okay. convenience of Troy can't be here, or else we'd know what's really going on. Okay. Uh world building. Benzafor, uh, you get to see the sea. Mm-hmm. Um, TKLs or food rations. He, the, he doesn't like the uh, John Brown belts that everybody's wearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of it's real. Here's uh, where I am. Uh, here's what we learn. Heat dissipation is an important factor in deflector shields. Okay. Uh, ambassador class ships are more maneuverable than Romulan ships of the 2340s. Dude, imagine how bad those Romulan ships were. Because the Enterprise C does not look maneuverable. <laughs> it does not. And what we know about starships in general in this. The big cruisers <laughs> don't seem to be. No. For sure. They don't turn on a dime. Even uh, even TOS, the Enterprise in the, in the original series is never allowed to be worse in any aspect than any other ship. Yeah. Uh, even it, it does not seem maneuverable. Yeah. Like these are they are definitely taking the 
ship model not the airplane model yeah, exactly guys. right you can like they slowly list to one side and the ship makes all <laughs> kinds of noises and shit right um so yeah how bad must those fucking romulan <laughs> ships be it's a good thing there were fucking four That's of them right. it would have been no trouble at all uh care loops and we can infer some ideas about the state of uh klingon and federation relations in the 2340s right um because obviously that's like 50 years after star trek 6 mm-hmm. so it seems like they should be a little a little better friends yeah after praxis and all that right uh, I gave it the standard three, even though uh, a lot of the all of the stuff we learned about the other universe doesn't count. It we still learned a lot of stuff about the universe up to the point where the Enterprise C left. Yeah, I agree. Just to name some of that, I just has other things I had in here. Guinan's unknown and possibly unknowable powers seems yeah, like she did not seem interested in explaining them for sure. No, and she even seems a little bit surprised by her own abilities in this one. She is troubled and not sure why and what is happening. Yeah. Um. Let's see, Enterprise C and its service record. Um, uh, let's see. Yeah, the maneuverability thing. They were still in those sweet uniforms 22 years ago. Yeah, but without the undershirt and I, I and without the belt, and I frankly, I like it a lot better with the, both of those things. Agreed. Peace Treaty was in the midst of being negotiated 22 years ago with the Klingons. So... I, a lot of the stuff is literal universe building, but the only stuff that counts is the stuff about 22 years ago. Yeah. Um, for me, that was a four because it was still important for the understanding of this immediate area of space. Uh, It'd be a great era to know more about. I just don't trust the writers to play in that space. Oh, like if they had to go back and do it? You know, the Ferengi are in episode two and they're just like, <laughs> what is happening? Every time, man every time that's why even though it seems like if you went back there you could do a lot of stuff about the building of whatever tension existed before the cardassian war oh that'd be good but you know they don't care about that we don't talk about it but that must have been they must have been at least encountering each other during this time oh for sure i mean it it was a 20-year war we are told a couple years later so yeah um yeah i mean that's why i always say that you should never do a prequel i i can't believe they only are doing prequels these days it's the worst yeah, until idea until the picard one comes out yeah all you can do is ruin everything that came before you should always keep doing them forward in time so that you're not ruining everything that came before well, pro- hopefully not ruining everything that came before uh characterization ben has it as a seven mm-hmm. everyone opens up to guinan even Worf. guinan's really key here he says Whoopi doesn't actually quite match up to Patrick Stewart's performance. Um, Worf keeps it under wraps, but he's got that uh, big Klingon belly laugh. Uh, I want to say that Patrick Stewart has the easier part here. Yeah, he gets to be all indignant. Right. And she has to just kind of... She has to say the things that literally make these scenes work. Like, uh, look, I can't explain it to you. Because I don't really understand what's happening. So stop asking me to do that. Um... Then he has some stuff in here about Yara. I don't know why that... Well, shit, I was going to say it shouldn't count, but she does go back into our timeline. Yep, this all counts. She's real. She For her, this all counts. Mm-hmm. Uh, is... Uh, he says even in War Trek, uh, Guinan is totally allowed to pull Picard off the bridge, so there's still some special power she has. Yep, whatever happened 22 years ago, their relationship started before that, I guess. Um... War Picard is badass with his that'll be the day remark where he jumps over the panel and 
pushes that photon torpedo button or whatever. Yeah, that's the always the problem. It's just that, not a right? cool motion. <laughs> it's not. There's nothing cool. Jumping the horseshoe is a little yeah, bit cool. Yeah, and then you're just like but the rest of it's not cool. Mashing that fucking little pad over and over again. Which we, by the way, we all know that the little panels on his chair can do. Yeah, like he didn't need to jump unless his chair broke during that big fire. You know, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, he says this mostly counts, um, and and he's right even that Yar counts because she does end up back in the past in the real timeline. Um, I wasn't quite as high. I was a six. Oh, Worf thinks prune juice is a warrior's drink. Yeah, that's just a funny joke. Mm-hmm. I mean. Worf can only have sex with Klingons because of his huge ego. Yep. And I love the way he says, then I will never then know. I will never know. So I exactly what it was. It's so good. He just laughs and she goes, you never know till you try. And he goes, and he takes a drink and he goes, then I'll never know. And it's like so well delivered and you go, ah, maybe Chips was good, but like, not nah, Chips isn't going to be <laughs> but good. But you know it wasn't good. Don't though. go back and watch Chips. It's not going to be good. But for a minute, you're like, maybe Chips <laughs> was good. I wonder if Chips was good. Maybe Chips was good. Uh, when Dorn has naturalistic things to say, he can do it. Yeah. Guinan, once again, the most natural actor. Um, Whoopi, I mean, on the uh, uh-huh. on the show. I think she seems to be the only one who has the idea that if you don't pretend that you're in the future, it's going to be better. <laughs> That's right. If you just pretend these are words a person would say, they might sound like words a person would say. Maybe. Yeah. Sometimes not because of the writing. But sometimes Jordy does it, and yep. every once in a while O'Brien. Right. Those are the main people who sometimes deliver a human line, yep. and obviously our favorite ever line. Well, they say you're from Nova <laughs> And uh, God, I wish I knew what he was going to say. Um, and I think you're right. She does have the. She has the more challenging role. I think I Patrick think so. Stewart does do a good job, but it's also a little hammy. Because it's what it calls for. He needs to sh- kind of shout and slam the table. He's going through it. He's stressed. This war is stressful. This space war. Yep. What am I going to do? He's got real bad choices in front of him all of yeah. a sudden. But she just has to kind of kind of walk him through it and walk Yar through it and stuff like that. Um, is Guinan's mission to make every timeline this one timeline? Is there a Guinan in every timeline just telling Picard to do shit to make it the prime timeline? It's a It's a very interesting question. I said I to you off air, she's a real Janeway this week trying to make everything right. She is trying to put right what once went wrong, Janeway style. But if I think if you really, really dig deep into it, this means something about the structure of how these parallel universes work. Because, mm-hmm. like, there's not a guy in here from, who's from this timeline. She must exist outside of this concept in some way. But Picard still has a past with her and knows her and everything in this other timeline. Yep. As always, the only thing that's changed. Well, uh, listen, we know that her past with Picard. Well, but how would it happen in this universe? Yeah, it's very troubling. The question is complex, but whatever their history is, I've never understood it. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess you could argue that in this universe. There's some other meeting between her and Picard. That's what I'm saying, because because it has to matter. He didn't know about that other meeting. Right. So but something she, happened between but the them version of after Guinan that. that's in this universe would have probably still known that she was supposed to have people, whatever weird relation. It's so crazy. For people listening to this half conversation we're having, the, there's an episode where they meet in the fucking 19th century or whatever. It, 20, was but it? It, first of all, it's not it's not satisfying. That can't be the entire basis that's, for their relationship. Right. Because, because while Picard is nice to her, yeah. it, nothing he doesn't do anything above and beyond. 
Yeah, he, she's like injured and he helps her. And, and like, he asserts that they're good friends in the future, but that's it. But but he hasn't encountered that event yet when we meet her on Enterprise and they're already friends. So he has clearly met her in a in the real timeline after the fucking 19th century. And they have become friends based on something that happened in the real fucking universe. Of the I mean, we'll present. learn at the end of this season that their friendship is intense. Yes. Or maybe it's the first goes, episode of season four. Goes beyond friendship, beyond family. Right. I don't exactly. know what that means. And by the way, I'm and so glad they didn't earned. write it. It is not earned, and they're, but you're right. They wouldn't have written I, it. I'm glad they didn't write it. I don't want to know what it is. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just thought it, she was like desperate to make the timeline right, and it, that struck me as a Janeway kind of thing to do. Yeah, it's uh, Janeway style. Although the, that timeline did suck, clearly. Uh, Riker hates Data, which, which I always enjoy. He always yells at him for no reason, like it's his fault this rift in space and time showed up. He really has been, yeah. He's so angry every time. Uh, so all the other stuff doesn't really count. It's in an alternate universe. But in the bits that we saw of stuff that does count, I liked it. So it was a six. I had trouble. Um, we, As you said, so we learned that Guinan has a strange power. And yes. that's not characterization. But we learned that she trusts her intuition to the point of arguing for some truly horrifying actions. And just straight telling people to their face, you're not supposed to be here. And you died, yeah. and it was worthless, and you're worthless. Get out of my face. Yeah. So that's a strong character, and I, I think it's in keeping with what we've learned about Guinan so far. Mm-hmm. We learn that Worf may be lonely. He plays it off like he's not. But he does go and sit and tend forward and wait for people to come talk to him. He goes and sits and tend forward and waits for Guinan to come talk to him. Mm-hmm. And also, when she suggests that maybe he should give human women a try, he does give half a look. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else is in an alternate universe. Yeah. Where the crew dynamics are very different. Uh, for instance, in this universe, Picard and Riker don't seem to like each other. No, Riker is being a real shit disturber the whole time. Just and questioning Picard his shit. Only refers to him as commander and never calls him number one and the whole time. he tells him he's not interested in hearing what he has to say. That's right. <laughs> Which Riker doesn't care about and keeps talking. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The war has been rough, I think. Um, Because so much of this did not happen in our universe, I initially only gave it two points. Okay. I'm going to meet you in the middle and give it a four. It's uh, however you feel about it. Um, normally, I don't like it when a lot of the episode doesn't take place in a way that I can score things. The line of Guinan not being sure how she fits in and Yar counting and then all of or most of the small touches that I really enjoyed being in the bookends. Because in the end, she has a conversation with, where she's clearly going to have the same kind of chat that she just had with Worf with Jordy, and she sits down. That's true. She's going to be like down for his loneliness. Counseling. Yeah, she's going to be like, "Hey, you know, I know it's been rough. You got to get back out there. You got to get back on the horse. That kind of thing." But now she's kind of dis- she's disturbed by all the stuff about Tasha Yar. She wants to talk about yeah, that. She, uh, wants to talk about Tasha Yar. Um, Presumably, tells some of what she knows to Jordy. I wonder if she does. I wonder if she knows or cares enough about time stuff. We'll see if it comes up at all. Yeah. When it comes up. Yeah. Um, quick ones. Quick hitters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who on the Enterprise is into rough play, and why does Guinan know about it? There are some who might find you tame. Tame. <laughs> I wish that she had suggested for Worf... Uh, Dr. Salar. Oh, yeah. Because she's both physically strong as a Vulcan. And? And also she's definitely Worf's type. Well, I mean, she's she's Kalar. 
She's Gala. <laughs> That's she definitely is Worf's type. Yeah. I'm just saying. Even if in universe they're not the same person. Yeah. He would look Worf's at her and be like, Worf's there's something. Her and go, there's something about that Vulcan doctor. Something is working for that me. you never see because she works the night shift <laughs> that, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know what it is. It's doing it for Klingons me. Klingons and Vulcans are pretty different, but like. I want to breathe on her know. wrists. I don't know. I got ideas. I want to smell her hand. I've been working on some verses. Like, just in case. <laughs> just in case she decides to get real throwy. I got a couple, I got a couple of verses fl- floating around. That's how he talks. He talks to chicks. He's like, hey, you've been warming that arm up? Because I've been practicing poetry. <laughs> you and me. Uh, he's always trying to get her to come play catch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, that none of that happened. That's just a fantasy that I had. No. Uh, Riker's in a bad mood again this week, yelling at Data for telling him the sensors are having a hard time with the anomaly. <laughs> yep. Worf thought it was worth interrupting Picard to tell him, Captain, something's happening. <laughs> a new change in sensor readings. Ooh, a new change. A new change. As opposed to the old change. How is it possible that Picard looks at the Enterprise-C squirting out of that thing and thinks it's an enemy vessel? An enemy vessel? And then it does its little switcheroo. Um, I know we've never seen an Ambassador-class ship, but hasn't he? Bro, he didn't even recognize the Stargazer. He didn't know what it <laughs> was. They had to tell him he like five so times. He's used to seeing them from the fucking inside. He cannot imagine what they look like on the outside. It's insane how he does not recognize this stuff. They show him the Stargazer for like ten minutes. The guy's like, Huh? Look what I brought you. A deck of like silhouette recognition cards. He has the models of everything. Fighting ships or something. It's crazy that he doesn't understand what ships are. Um, then I I thought maybe they did never made ambassador class ships in this because he's in the military universe by the time he says that. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make any sense because that that's the exact point when the universes diverge is when the Enterprise C disappears. It had already been built. Military log, combat date, battleship. They lay it on real thick in that first log. Pretty cheesy. Uh, in this universe, I realized for the first time, they didn't know the Romulans attacked Narendra 3. Oh yeah, they think it disappeared somewhere, I guess in the area. So they blamed it on the Klingons, right? Oh, that makes more so sense. So it actually makes a lot more sense than the explanation that they give over and over but again. But why doesn't this, he that say that? That the Klingons recognize the Enterprise's sacrifice. I know it's like it's such a missed opportunity, but if they didn't know about the Romulans, what did they think happened? That's what I, I the whole time I was like a Klingon outpost. I was like, what are they dumb? They just thought that Romulan attack and the Enterprise disappearing happened on the same day. Like, what are we talking about? Or did the Romulans when they? No, they're clearly surprised that the Romulans were involved at all. Yeah. which means they did such a fucking number on Narendra. No one even knows what it happened. Has not gotten back to the. Maybe the Klingons know, but it hasn't gotten back to the Federation. It's really weird. Yeah, because you're right. That would make sense if they thought the Klingons. Did it but he doesn't say that he says there was no record of you at narendra 3 yeah it explains how there might be some tension on the other side right like Hmm. maybe they thought the klingons wiped out what must have been a fairly important ship hell yeah it's the enterprise uh i love the collar and cuffs on war enterprise yeah the high collar and the cuffs i don't love the belt seems kind of stupid the belt actually would have been fine if it had just been brown or black leather what was it? Uh, it's kind of a rainbow shimmer plastic. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the space future. Yeah, that's too much. <laughs> it was a little too, like, I don't, I get it. Maybe they carry sidearms. Maybe they don't want to just tuck them into their sash like they do. 
Yeah. Uh, so they they got a little John Brown belt on them now, but like the materials very bad. If Captain Garrett were to go by the book, twenty four hours would seem like twenty four years. <laughs> Thanks for the Star Trek 2 reference. I'm just saying, she said 24 hours might as well be 24 years or something. Yep. <laughs> was there a thought of Savick? What are you going to do? Maybe there was a second where Picard thought she was speaking in code. Wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, what are you saying? What did she so say? Was it 24 days? What? Oh, I'm so lost. <laughs> um, I think I'd like it better if you called me Richard and also if you <sighs> changed my diaper. It's really creepy. Yeah. He goes, well, most everybody calls me Castillo. My mother calls me Richard. And she goes, okay, Castillo. And then he gives a look and he goes, nah, I think I'd like it better if you call me Richard. And I went, well, I think I should just turn it off now. I'm just going to turn <laughs> yeah, off that's the not episode. great. Like you said, um, the romance plot is is the weakest part of this. Why does he want her to be his mom? I think he didn't think of a cool way to tell her his first name. <laughs> And he just fucking put his foot in his mouth. He's like, she's not even curious. She never asked. Yeah. Wild. Oh, it's not a good sign that she said Castillo. I thought that was pretty obvious what I just did. Oh, it better be more obvious. <laughs> what the hell? I'm, I'm going to die anyway. Tomorrow. Let's just I go for it. I might as well fucking go for it. Um, hey, in this universe, Tasha, Yar and Data probably never fucked, right? You know, it seems like they probably weren't on all the same dumb adventures they went on before where they were just ferrying candidates around to Pacifica I mean, or like, whatever. they definitely didn't go to sh- uh, Skin of Evil Planet. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe. Maybe that just and never also, popped up. also, they're together in the turbo lift and there's no hint of it. Yeah, he's, there's, no, there's no awkwardness or right. even intimacy. Yeah. Enterprise wasn't running around doing far pointy shit. Sokovsky probably wasn't even at that Pulsar because it was a war. Yeah. Uh, Shimoda never pulled out those isolinear chips. There was never a drunk Shimoda. Dessert order. (laughs) Troy never called Riker Bill because she never existed. Picard never did the horse laugh. Oh, stop it. Now it's making me sad. Yeah. Now that timeline is very sad. Um, Worf got called to the bridge when this temporal rift appeared. Yeah. But I guess not Jordy because he's just ordering a drink in 10 forward. Jordy's, you know, they know by now Jordy's off time is his off time and you don't bother him. He's going to be in 10 forward and that's it. That whole shit takes uh, the span of like three or four seconds. Mm-hmm. Like Worf gets up there, the Enterprise <laughs> comes out and then he says, ah, I thought I saw something on the sensors, but it wasn't there. And, and then Picard's just like typical fucking Worf or whatever. Yeah, and then, then Guinan calls. Then Guinan's like, Guinan must have got up, yeah. walked right over to Jordy. As soon as Worf left, she was like, I'm going to roll. Well, we with know this prune juice and lonely hearts shit. We we know she calls the bridge before that. She calls the and bridge and then goes and sits down with Jordy. Here's sad sack. Well, while she was getting his drink, yes, she, the bridge. she got his drink order when called the bridge. Right. Um. Also, Jordy's in the wrong uniform at the end. He's still got the war uniform on. You pointed that out to me. It's weird they didn't catch that on site, but I've never caught it, and I've seen that episode a hundred times. Yeah. He's still got the the collar. The, the cuffs are still super visible. Yeah. Captain Garrett. Yep. Is named after the pizza place at the Prune Yard. Whoa. The original pitch for this was written by a guy who lived in San Jose. That is now the most famous guy from from the <laughs> Dude area. Dude who wrote the pitch. From the area and then around the Prune Yard. And story credit because they combined his pitch with a story where a team of Vulcan time-traveling archaeologists accidentally killed Surak and... Uh, Sarek, Spock's father, appeared in a guest role and went back in time to take his place. 
Jesus. Yeah. I'm glad that didn't happen. And somehow both of the, in both of those stories, both the original pitch and uh, this one, um, Tasha Yar made an appearance and they just fucking combined it yeah. and made it about her. Well, you know what? Um, I'm not I'm not sure I love that angle of this, but I'm very glad they didn't do the Sarek one. Yeah. That doesn't sound that good. Um, so, of course, you and I, Matthew, mm. know that data was wrong. The alternate data. The Enterprise yeah. seed did not go back to where they came from. Yeah. They went to 2409, <laughs> yes, where they right. were captured by the Tholians. The Tholians were the eventual victor. After the Klingons beat up the Federation, the Tholians turned around and did it right to them. Yep. But luckily, a time ship from the 29th century and one <laughs> valiant captain from the 2400s. You know who? It's you! Back to the past she was meant to die in, which we later learned was many years later on a different planet. <sighs> but you do get to check out her gravestone. That's great. Thanks. Anyway, all of that. Thanks, from STO. Online. Yeah. yeah. Best actor, uh, then I will never know, Worf. Yeah, I think so. Worst and by the actor. way, that's after we talked a lot about how great Whoopi and Patrick Stewart are, but I think, I think that's, that's right. true. Yeah. Uh, worst actor, stiff-ass Tasha Yar. She, she still has a couple of it. moments in this. Uh, she does good, very good face acting when it sinks in why Guinan was giving her that look. But she doesn't seem comfortable here. You know, it's like... It's like she never left the set. She was getting worst actor every week when she was here in season one, and she's just right back at it, making her appearance in season three. Uh, I know that was a lot of quick hitters from me. Yeah, I'll, uh, Ben had some of the same ones, like how there's a ton of hints that it's now a warship. Yes. Um, Castillo wears his old-style phaser on his left hip in a cross-draw orientation, grip forward. Uh, he says, doesn't Janeway have a bit of Garrett's same style, just way more overblown? Too bad this actress wasn't picked for Janeway. No, but they did pick some weird French-Canadian chick, right? Yeah, at first. And then she hated it so much, she just quit. She quit after, like, one day on set. She's like, nah, yeah. I think I'm good. Uh, they do call Dr. Solar over the uh, PA, which they often do. Yes, that is how she mostly gets mentioned. Um, I got some quick hitters. In fact, I have a lot of them because this all took place in an alternate universe and I didn't know where to put you my know, notes. that's fine. We're actually pretty good on time, so it's fine. Worf can never get a fucking drink down on this ship, huh? Every time he looks outside, there's a fucking <laughs> damn anomaly or some shit happening. He just wanted to sit there and have a drink. That's true. Uh, big soundtrack feels in this episode. I think they learned a lot making this one and it helped best of both worlds. I think so, too. Down the line. Um, it's very similar in tone. Here's where I put, what does Riker, and I guess all of history, think happened to the Enterprise C if there's no record of the Romulans blowing their ass up? Like, they're in that area, and then they disappeared. And then maybe the Romulans attacked that. It's just hard to say what they think happened in the other timeline. Uh, Picard did not seem to recognize the Enterprise C's registry, even though... Uh, even though... It's the same number. <laughs> she goes, NCC, and he's just looking at her. 1701, and he's just looking at her. And yep. then she goes, C, and he's still looking at her. Until she says USS, USS Enterprise. USS Enterprise, and then he goes, what? <laughs> it's like, bro, how do you not recognize those numbers? They're the same well, as your numbers. For the purposes of this scene, he's never seen an Ambassador-class <laughs> starship. He doesn't have a model of this ship on his wall. And he doesn't know the Enterprise's registry. Yeah. Uh, um, 
time travel Star Trek style where everyone ended up in the exact same place but slightly different. Uh, Crusher needed a entire full separate report on this lady's electrolytes. In case you <laughs> yep. wanted to know. Well, uh, in in the war, a lot of medicine is now sponsored by Gatorade. <laughs> That's right. So. Brondo or whatever. Sponsored by Brondo. Um... This lady finally asks questions that make sense, unlike most people on TV. She asks about their uniforms and the sick bay and everything. It is true that they're always very, like, well, that's uh, that's not our uniform. Like, if you saw someone, like, if a bunch of North Koreans showed up in their North Korean uniforms, you wouldn't go, okay, I get that this is uniforms, but yeah. it's, it's not ours. Yep. Um... Fake Picard puts it together 100% correctly that saving the outpost would have averted a war. Feels a lot like speculation, but he nailed it. Data works I out. I mean, this... it helps that Guinan told him specifically that there shouldn't be a war. It's just so. But they, all the characters say it in the episode. They all say. It could, by the way, it, it could very easily have been something that the Enterprise C went on to do after surviving the Battle of Narendra Three, or mm-hmm. or something else. Right? Didn't have to be the direct result of saving that outpost, but they all say you know for tv reasons yeah even data's like pointed out in the briefing where Riker won't shut up um data works out the survivability chance of this mission back through time with his mega brain as none um 40 billion 40 billion's a lot of dead you definitely don't hit those numbers with fleet actions so i'm guessing a lot of planets did ate the shit yeah there was some mass driving or who knows what some real shit happened Maybe that one time travel mission where the Klingons, uh, where the Romulans almost get control of the uh, bugle from. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. Fuck. Operation Annihilate? What is that one? The Doomsday Machine? The Doomsday Machine, yeah. Yeah. Um, How are these Klingons so fucking strong? I thought Praxis was their death knell. I thought that was it for them. How do the Klingons kick their ass? They got about 50 years of Federation aid. I guess they used it wisely. Yeah, because they kicked the shit out of the Federation in this timeline. What's this Klingon scout ship up to? Is it just like the guy from Star Trek 1? 1? 3? Which one's the one who's the... The guy who's just blowing up satellites? Yeah, the the jerk. The jerk with the afro. Because, like, it shows up and it decloaks and attacks them. Is it just chasing heroism? Like, why attack two Starfleet vessels when you can just secretly relay their position to your fleet? Ah, maybe he has standing orders or thought he'd catch them. It's it's a good question. It's not smart behavior. Yeah. Uh, again, love those old uniforms. Um, why does Alter Yar care that Guinan has weird feelings about her? Like, why rush to your death because Guinan says so? Can she also feel it? Or, like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's tough. Um... The way the music gets all hopeful when they start to fire on the Klingons. You're like, yeah, Enterprise! And then the shit all goes horribly wrong. Uh, I found very well done. They're it's like, true. oh, they're going to come through. It's Enterprise. Uh, and then so much data face acting. It's just oh, throughout the whole battle and everything. It's just like every time the ship lurches, he makes a bunch of weird faces. It's just... Well, you see, he has no emotion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's all I had. That was enough, right? Well. I hope so. Um, I feel like much more could be said, frankly. But 
but we, yeah, we did. That's gonna do. We did watch Baker Street this week, though. Like they, hey, they added a couple of uh, extra consoles to the bridge. Hey, they raised the seats in the center. Oh, they went for it, dude. Like, yeah, they changed a lot of stuff. Picard's ready room has a map. I would love to see. Uh, some Okudagram. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure maybe one of the dumb encyclopedias is like with the maps in it is based on that. Oh, yeah, it could be. Uh, but you're right. Uh, the winner last week, a uh, rare win for Enterprise. Yeah. Can they repeat this week with uh, Carpenter Street? Matt, you said Baker Street. I actually was very tempted to do a double clip yeah. this week. Breaks the rules, play though. the entirety of Sullivan Street. <laughs> nice. <laughs> which has the same meter. Oh, yeah. Take the way home, man. That leads back to Carpenter Street. Mm-hmm. Earth, unknown time, sort of 20th century. Hmm. There's rain on the streets of an unnamed city and a 1980s model car pulls to a halt. Yeah. It's very similar to one we owned. Yeah. The driver goes into his apartment and starts eating pizza when a call comes in from a Zindi. Oh, no. Asking if he's made his selection. The man goes back out and picks up a lady of the evening who he drugs and delivers to a weird makeshift hospital. Enterprise 2150s. I don't remember what year. (laughs) It's okay. No one remembers. 51, probably. Archer is feeding Porthos when his old buddy Daniels appears behind him. Archer has a lot of questions about everything. Sure. Because Daniels has been absent. Yeah, he hasn't been around in a while, so he does try to pepper him when he shows up. But Daniels tells him that, historically, this Earth-Zindy conflict isn't supposed to have happened. It's all the result of temporal incursions, and he doesn't know where the Zindy weapon even came from. Boy, what he does know pretty useless. is that they've detected three Zindi in Detroit in the past. That's what Bowie was writing about, right? Panic in Detroit? Wasn't that what it was about? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Archer goes and briefs T-Pole. Uh, Daniels is going to send him back in time to find out what they're up to, and he is allowed to take one person with him for paperwork reasons. <laughs> <laughs> and he chooses her. Because she doesn't believe in time travel, and he yeah. wants to stick it in her fucking face. You're not wrong that it seems to be the specific reason to do it. Not um, a ship full of humans, you're going to Earth in the past, pick a human. Nope. No. Not, how about that uh, Mako Major? Yep. Seems like might be a good guy to take with you on a I time I mean, one, he's ship. fucking human. He's a human man Fuck. who can be in the past without having to cover his ears. Daniels gives them some temporal tags to bring anything back that doesn't belong there, but he doesn't give them a PPT. I know. And he and T-Pole dress for the occasion and step through the door to the command center to Detroit 2004. Hmm. Archer and T-Pole steal a truck, figure out how to drive it, cruise the city looking for the Zindi, occasionally knocking off an ATM. Right. The kidnapper picks up an old man under the guise of a blood bl- blood bank work and... Uh, Archer and Teeple roll up on the warehouse with the Zindi life signs and they set face pistols to kill because the guys are unstunnable. Mm -hmm. And also because it's badass. That's right. Well, he's badass Archer now. The kidnapper, Loomis, shows up with his victim. He has a conversation with this shadowy Zindi and it turns out they are counting on him to bring in someone with every blood type and they need it done by the next day. 
for reasons. Yeah, they have paperwork reasons of their own. Archer and T-Pole wait for him to leave and follow him to his apartment. Uh, he tries to make a run for it down the fire escape, but uh, T-Pole knocks him out. Archer gets rough with him when he won't answer questions, but once they learn his story, uh, they tur- they cook up a plan because Archer's got one of the two blood types he needs, B-negative. They do a fast food farce. Yeah. Loomis wheels Archer in and hooks him up, tells him all about the Zindi schedule right there instead of in the car on the way over. After Loomis leaves, the Zindi come in trying to get Archer's blood, and then he gets up and follows them around, finds their lab, calls T-Pole, tells her that they're making a virus. Uh, she tells him to disable their temporal beacon so they won't be able to zap out of there. Mm. Uh, he does, shoots one of the Zindi dead. Um, the other two take the virus and run. T-Pole can't help him stop them because Loomis betrays her. The Zindi get up on the roof. There's a big firefight. Standard Enterprise firefight takes up the last the third Zindi of the episode. tries to release the toxin into a building's exhaust fan, and Archer sneaks around while T-Pole draws fire and gets the jump on him. And they tag the bodies for retrieval and jump back forward with the Zindi and all their shit. And uh, Loomis is arrested thanks to an anonymous tip. Matthew, what's this episode about? Nothing. It's a zero. Boom. <laughs> Sorry, I thought about it. I couldn't think any more about it. What did Ben have? Let's see. Even the description I gave was not... Was it half the description I gave of the TOS episode or a third? There's not a lot that happens and it, no one... I have a lot of weird... There's a lot of weird stuff going on in this episode that we'll get into. Ben has the plot of Terminator for sure would happen if time travel is possible. Take two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank God they didn't make Archer and uh, T-Pole beam back in naked. <laughs> it mu- they must have wanted to. Oh, I'm sure they tried it. I bet there's a scene that they filmed like that. Probably. Uh, what about uh, you, man? Um, stop following orders. <laughs> don't don't follow orders blindly. Okay. Everyone in this damn show, in particularly in this episode, is taking orders from someone and they shouldn't be. Yeah. The Zindi have been doing it all along. They got some weird shadowy future information that humans were going to attack them. Yeah. And they've they've really taken it to heart. Yeah. Archer, it just does whatever Daniel says, even when it makes no sense. Yes. And uh, Loomis is worst of all here. He's taking super creepy orders from some doctor who will never step out of the shadows. Yep. <laughs> Under the very thin premise of working on a vaccine, he is kidnapping people. Uh-huh. And hooking them up to have their blood stolen. Oh, yeah. At this, least. This guy is definitely some kind of serial murderer. So everyone in here is just being real dumb and following orders, and they just expect that that's okay. And uh, I think that the episode accidentally says, don't do that, <laughs> but I'm only giving it one point. Don't. Because it's don't an accident. Yeah. Don't worry about it. They didn't. It's not the story they were trying to tell, and it doesn't mean anything. Sure. Yep. No. Of course, don't follow the orders of a weird terrorist <laughs> doctor. Yep. Yeah, he does suspect they're terrorists. He says. Ugh. So I gave it one whole point. For oh, that. I'm sure they did better on execution, though. One point. Oh, all right. I think this is the worst time travel episode in the series. And it's the fourth of the week, and you watch them in real order, right? This was the fourth one I watched for sure. <laughs> you must have been like, really? The, uh, the names Visionary and Carpenter Street did not really give away to me that they were going to be time travel episodes. Yeah, you already knew about... I knew about Yesterday's Enterprise, and yeah. I knew about Before and After. Yeah. That one I... That one's pretty probably. easy to put together, yeah. 
but Carpenter Street, it's not clear what that could have meant, but it did definitely didn't seem time travel So yeah. But here's the deal with this one. The Zindi can travel back in time in this episode. Yeah. Why do they need this fucking virus at all? Yep. This is something, by the way, that the shadowy bad guy can't even do. Yeah. He can talk to the past. He can't travel back in time. Yeah, the Zindi are better than that guy, it turns out. The Zindi can fucking do it. Uh-huh. They don't need this virus. But even assuming this is their plan, why do they go back to 2004? Yep. Instead of 1904 before radio even existed. Yeah. Or earlier. Anytime earlier. Oh, this is a real Star Trek time travel problem. This is the same as the Nexus or any other number of things. It is exactly I want to go back to the, the mountain Nexus. one second before the missile launches. What can it possibly mean, Matthew, that the timeline changes haven't caught up to Daniels and that they take time to happen? What can it mean? I don't know. I don't know. Why does he send Archer to do his job? Dude, everything about this Daniel scene is such a hand wave. I'm surprised they bothered to do it. I don't know why they didn't just start the episode with Archer on Earth and say we we detected some Zindi and we're here to stop him. Because the, the, everything about the conversation between him and Daniels is a fucking wild riot. Then he makes the same decision as the Zindi. If you're going to send Archer back in time, why send him to the point when the virus is complete? Instead of back to the point when the Zindi land, mm-hmm. Daniels knows they've been there two months. Yep. Why does he pick this point to send him back to? Yes. Is it because we've already seen that one scene in the teaser? Yes. And we've got to drop Archer in after that? You know it. Archer beats up a guy. That's dumb. Yeah. Teepool threatens to ice a dude for smoking in front of her. Yeah, I have a lot of notes about bad cop Teepool in this episode. This is a real horseshit episode. (laughs) I gave it one point for execution. I like it. Ben gave it as much as a five. Uh, he said opening on a 1980s street. Wait, that's 2004? Yeah, it's real wild. I had huh? the same thing where I was like trying to look at the cars. I as actually thought by. it was the 70s at first. I was like, these cars. I, look then really I realized the, the car is actually more early 80s, but his leather jacket really looked 70s. I saw some cars but in then the he, background, and I went, "Wow, those are maybe a little newer, maybe 90s. What year is it?" But then he had that cordless phone, and I was like, "So this can't even be the 80s. This has got to be at least the 90s." Yeah. Um, he says, cool, time travel again, this is gonna suck. Why doesn't Daniels just go back and fix it himself? He said he forgot to take notes on most of it, partly because the action was pretty good, but also there wasn't anything terribly moving to take a note on. Yeah. Um, so I originally had this at a four. You have definitely talked me down to a two. Um, so I'm always torn, like, we talked about this before. Would I rather he just get in the car and drive and then wonder why he knows how? Or would I, right. would I like to watch <laughs> have to watch this farce. Go through the dumb exercise of him learning how to drive. With T-Paul sitting next to him saying such great lines as, I, I believe the exterior lights are off. Yeah. I'll err on the side of giving them credit for the attempt without it being too goofy. And I will explain why it doesn't get too goofy in a second here. This felt like an effort from a filmmaker. This was a rare episode, not saturated with worthless background music. That's uh, true. Which gave it a much more serious tone, even in scenes like Archer learns to drive or the gang orders burgers from a drive-thru. 
There was no background music in any of that. No dumb music Boy, cues. If ever a scene called for yakety sex, right? the fucking drive-through scene. No, no, like no music cues of any kind where you could like, raise your eyebrow and go, "Huh, we're joking around." It was really. It was a weirdly serious episode. I think you're right that the tone was appropriate. Some interesting camera angles during the scene where they interrogated the weirdo that were like fake cop show cameras. Oh, the whole thing is very much an episode of Law and Order. The, uh, it, except it doesn't go dung dung or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. But like you know, it's it's or it's even more like a gritty seventies cop movie. Yeah. And like the dialogue didn't get it done, and the performances were really odd. T Paul as bad cop is such a strange choice. I I I appreciated the attempt to do something different, though I didn't really understand. And finally, it was all plot. It obviously wasn't about anything. Yeah. Um, and But also, don't worry. The plot... Archer and T-Pole are never in danger of failing this mission. Oh, hell no. Everything that they do in this one goes off without a fucking hitch. Even when he is very bad at... He's like... I'll look at it in quick hitters. But he sits up there in his little perch. And instead of just firing rapid fire and icing those dudes, he like shoots, waits, shoots again, waits... Shoots. Okay, finally knocked down one of the Zindi. All oh, the other two are gone. It's like, what are you doing, buddy? They can't even Yo, see. Well, he you. doesn't have wide beam unless he does. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember either. Swinging into world building, I gave it a one. Are we finally going to get to the bottom of why the Zindi think Earth is their enemy? Like we've no, gone a, a whole fucking. Not. We've gone a whole fucking season just wondering. No. Okay. Cool. Uh, Archer has a magic pad that allows him to unlock car doors, ATMs, etc., etc. Conan really hosts a show in-universe. That is true. I always keep track of that. What TV shows exist in the Star Trek universe? Right, we knew the Twilight Zone existed in mm-hmm. this universe, right? Yep. In Enterprise, we've seen that. She In Carbon Creek, they also watched I Love Lucy, I think. Okay. Uh, continuity with stun having no effect on the reptilians, a virus targeting specific human blood types, not much here. Of course, they could have given you that continuity point with him just saying that instead of saying, set phase pistols to kill. And, <laughs> then, right. when our, and then having people give him a look and then having him say, when they boarded the ship, stun had no effect. Like, okay. she, like she didn't remember that. <laughs> right. Um, what, about, what did Ben do for World Building 2? Ben's as much as a two. So the ver- Daniels is back. Temporal War. Yeah. It's all Terminator. Um, he says a pretty big loophole to let a shuttle pod travel time at this point in Star Trek history. I don't know what he's talking about. Whatever Daniels does, I don't think a shuttle pod's involved. They go into that weird war room and they step through the door and they're just there. Yeah. Uh, well, what about uh, what about you? I'm afraid I agree with you in that I gave it a one. Okay. Uh, here's what we learn. None of this was meant to happen. <laughs> this is a real, this is a Guy and Janeway situation. And something about how they detect temporal incursions. But frankly, it's worse than even the other bad stuff we'd seen about Daniels. Mm-hmm. It's the time travel is very bad and this is, it hurts it here. Yeah. Um, characterization. Yeah. Archer won't hit a man when he's tied up. I feel like he would, but okay. But he will hit a man to interrogate him. Yes. 
And he will stage a mock execution. Yeah, we know he will. T-Pole is a militant vegetarian and anti-smoker. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really confused by Trip. At the end, when they step back out, did it seem to you like Trip didn't know what had happened? Yep. I legit thought they had accidentally changed the timeline. Because of how baffled he is when he walks in and sees all this indie stuff? Even before that, like just when yeah. Archer and Teeple come out of there dressed in their old clothes, he's like, Captain, is everything all right? And he doesn't, uh, it's not like, how'd it go? You're right. And I thought, this episode moved along briskly, so I didn't realize that the episode was necessarily over. And when he said, Captain, how'd it go? I'm like, oh no, they changed the past. There's a little <laughs> twist on it. No, that's right. the episode really is over. <laughs> and that's just a real weird play. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote in characterization, Trip maybe forgot that the captain was time traveling. <laughs> He's not good at keeping track of all these missions. So many missions. It's hard. Um, I gave it a three for characterization. Okay. I don't love Archer and T-Pole's behavior. No. Archer's behavior is, however, not surprising. <laughs> no. Uh, ben was a one says actually Teepole has been the more reasonable one in this third season it seems like Archer is Archer no one else is in it um I gave it a four we'll see if I talk myself down Archer sees Daniels and almost cries with anger immediately <laughs> pulls a real Archer just like his whole face changes and you think oh he's gonna cry I think he's well he's gone through so much shit and now here's the one dude who starfleet maybe only half believe exists yeah and he can finally give me all the answers i need nope uh archer chooses t-pole for this time mission that shows he trusts her implicitly and also that he's dumb as hell he had a ship full of humans to pick from for this covert mission on earth in the past and he picked the lone vulcan you know he could have brought flocks i guess i mean that would have been the only worst human yeah T-Pole has lots of good questions about why Daniels doesn't go himself and why he doesn't have enough time if he's a time traveler. Archer ignores these. Um, <laughs> T-Pole plays bad cop for most of the Earth mission, which is strange. We already knew T-Pole was a vegetarian, but now we know she hates smokers too. Yeah, I'm gonna, I talked myself down to a three, I think, on that one. Okay. Um, well, did you have quick hitters? Um, I'll do them quick. Oh, great, hookers. I have very few for this one. <laughs> Hookers, everybody. Thanks, Brandon Braga. Uh, then I asked, is he going to GTA this chick? It wasn't far off. Um, this weirdo was in a DS9 already, this Loomis guy. He was one of the refugees in that, uh, the one where Bajor refused the refugees. <laughs> Draylon 2. Draylon 2 episode. He'll also be in another DS9 very soon, and then he'll be in a Voyager later. Yeah, Star Trek makes the rounds with this. And frankly, his acting performance was fine. It was totally totally fine. Some of the dialogue yeah. he has to say is very bad. He had some challenges, but I I, I, did, I gave him... It's a flip. I gave him best actor, but maybe Archer. He's we- it's tough to have to say that, but no one else is in this one. He's weird enough that it works. Uh, he calls her a veggie. He asks about their ray gun. He wants a super beef, or maybe even a double super beef. It's a yeah. lot of bad dialogue the guy has to say. Um, Archer's brilliant plan is to get a complete drop on these Zindi and then slowly shoot at one of them while the other two run away. <laughs> Yikes. That's all. And then I stopped taking notes because it was a firefight for 20 minutes after that. 
Uh, I don't have much to add, and Ben often doesn't, but uh, let's see what he has. Uh, he says the body snatcher in the beginning looked like it could be an ancestor <laughs> of Archer's with that big beak. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, that would have been a great twist. My uh, great-great-great-grandfather was some kind of fucking weirdo. He thought it was a nice touch that they took the time to show Teeple setting the phaser back to stun before she shot Loomis, because it would have been on kill. That's true. That was the order. Um... I mostly asked about what time period this was supposed to be because I was very confused until they said <laughs> until, 2004. Yeah, until they said it, you spent a lot of time going, but wait and a minute, at, though. At that point, I thought I hadn't e- seen even one car from the 90s. So I, I was very surprised. In that first scene where he drives up, I thought I identified some real ugly 90s cars in the back, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, it must have been like deep in the background. Yeah. And then at the end, uh, the sun is rising over the famous canyons of Detroit. You know, those. After they, have, after they have taken the time to set it there. The only thing would have been if there had been a bunch of palm trees. That would be the only thing that would have been worse. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't have a lot. I gave worst actor to Daniels. He wasn't good. He wasn't selling anything to me. Yeah. Uh, the scores are in. Oh, okay, what do we get? Uh, in last place, we have a tie. Well, I you know what? I'm not surprised because there was some real filth. So... Uh, both with 12 points. Not good. Voyager before and after Carpenter Point. Street Enterprise. So the newest entries in this week uh, did very poorly. Voyager just can't get out of the fucking cellar. They suck. They Well, they're not clawing their way out. Uh, third place this week with a pretty mediocre 29 points. Mm-hmm. And this was our big spread. I yeah, had you 18 had a... and you had it 11. Yeah. Deep Space Nine with Visionary. Visionary. Vision is scary. <laughs> it's a little m for you. I appreciate it. Yep. Uh, but for Detroit. I thought I thought it was maybe from Deltron 3030. Oh, that I was... recognize I, the line. I, and I your delivery made it... I didn't use his Deltron. little wiener voice that Eminem has. I used the, the Deltron voice for sure. Uh, is that from uh, Without Me? Yes. Okay. Could start a revolution polluting the airwaves of Rebel. Something, that's something the else. one where he's he's back he's on the rag and ovulating that's and then right later i was like wait that doesn't make sense biologically <laughs> I, I don't know if eminem's cracked a book you're usually you're usually not ovulating at the yeah. same time as you menstruate that's not how it goes um second place this week with 36 points which is a few points on the good side of average yeah actually our average has slipped to only 30 and a half points at this point so 36 is it's actually reasonably good. We're less generous uh, all the time, and also these episodes fucking suck. TOS Day of the Dove. Uh, and that means our winner this week, 22nd win. Yeah. Uh, with 42 points, which is only one point better than the average winner. Yep. Yesterday's Enterprise. Small touches made that one. It was an episode with some time travel dumb problems, and it's just episodes in alternate universes aren't great for our rubric but it still managed to show up in a bad week really yeah if uh if we hadn't both given it very high execution points uh which must have been by accident because we didn't talk about it but the episode was very rushed yeah if we didn't both give it very high execution points this could have conceivably been a uh, tos win yeah another one tng yep actually before that i noticed when i was uh running the numbers here that uh, this week has an unusually high standard deviation. It's a uh, 13.75. Hmm. And that's because the spread between high and low is so high. Yeah. But uh, 
the weeks that have been above this have had really good, really high scoring episodes in them. Like, uh, oh, like a fifty 54, plus or whatever. We had a we had a fifty one with the enemy. Yeah, that week had a higher standard deviation. Um, in week, yeah, because it had two good ones and three bad. Thirty four. We had the measure of a man, which had both a fifty seven and a fifteen. Yeah. Um. So this week is was on average pretty poor. Three under average, two of them really bad. Yeah. Um, but that 42 means that it's this was a it's kind of a swingy week, although it wasn't swingy for me to watch. Yeah. So much time travel. It's a lot. I did not enjoy. Yeah. Uh, with 22 wins, Next Generation is now five ahead of the original series, and the original series only has one win on DS9. Yeah. So it's 22, 17, 16. At the bottom, we have Enterprise with five, including last week, and Voyager with two, including long, long ago. Yes. Yep. It's been a, they've been at two for a while. Well, they don't deserve any better. Uh, Points-wise, uh, DS9 stays ahead of the original series, despite losing ground this week. Uh, Next Generation is three entire points ahead of TOS in terms of uh, average score. So Yeah. That's uh, 930. No, that's not right. <laughs> three points times 62. That's 186 points total. Sorry, I did it by the to- total number of episodes we've watched, which is 310. Right. Um, Next week, next time we get together to do this. Yeah. We are watching... For the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky. Great in terms of length. <laughs> it's a great title. The Offspring. That's uh, Data Has a Damn Baby. It is Data Has a Damn Baby. It may be Jonathan Frake's debut as a director. Uh, he is generally considered one of the better TNG directors. Boy. Okay. Well, we'll get uh, into it. We are watching Distant Voices. I don't remember what the thumbnail was on this. We're watching an episode of Voyager called Real Life. I know, as a reminder that this is real life. It's really happening. We have to watch this. And we're watching an episode of Enterprise called Chosen Realm. Oh, those don't sound very exciting. I'm sorry, everyone. I wish it was exciting. It doesn't sound exciting. Yeah, it, um, it's going to be a real bummer next week when we finish the mailbag and go back on the clock, huh? So week, week win number 23 for TNG? Is that what we're thinking? <laughs> Still mean, out of time. <laughs> It could be that For the World is Hollow brings a big sci-fi take that I don't remember. Yeah. Uh, those people are living in an asteroid and maybe they're brainwashed. Maybe it's about religion in some way. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll get to it. But we'll see. How uh, how should people get in touch with us, Matt? Uh, they should definitely send us a lot of mail because next week will be a mailbag that's at Brother Date on the Twitter machine. You can send us your emails. Your audio mails, brothers at brotherdate.com. You can also um, shine the signal into the sky. And I will be there to. Well, I'll look at the signal. <laughs> I'll decide whether or not I want to do anything about it, I guess. I guess signal a lot if you mean it. Yeah, if it's like you really mean it, keep the signal up for a while. For one thing, I might be inside. Batman's never inside. Anyway. All right, everybody, this this was not that fun, but it'll be more fun sometime in the future. Thank you. 
I've been talking to whales for thousands of years. It took me 180 <laughs> years to get here. Where are the whales? 